Today is a very momentous recording because we are, have officially transferred over to the Cinescums podcast because <laughs> that is patent pending from Perry. Uh, and <laughs> we're so glad to have him back. Today we're going to be talking about, this is random, but it's the top three films that take place in one day in 24 hours. And that's thanks to Brendan's brilliant idea. He came up with that. Returning guest Brendan Mulcron, thanks for coming back to the pod. Repping the Bears hat, of course. Of course. Always happy to be back here. <laughs> Three-time guest. Um, and I've mentioned Perry before. King Criterion. The Alpha Omega of Barnes & Noble. <laughs> Welcome back, Perry. Praise Whose God. Criterion Hall blew up last year? I call him a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and of course, the lovely and the wonderful... The based Blair is back. Been on be so back. ten times or so now. It's great to have you back, Blair. <laughs> I know it's um, been too long. It really, it really has. I know it's felt like forever. It's great to have everyone back. It feels right to have everyone back. And then, oh, this is uh, this is big. This is a first timer. This man <laughs> likes cane sauce like he likes oh, his fuck women. Yeah. <laughs> he's a na- he's a really neighborly guy, as I like to say. <laughs> It's a beautiful bro, man. taking my bits. You're stealing my bits, bro. <laughs> we got we got glazed up together one night last year, and it was really great. I, lo- I love him. He's a great dude. I love uh, you, too. On three, let's all sing it. You're making me a... Cynic. The critic. Yeah, finally. Jake finally decided to install a router in his basement. So even though I'm chained up down here, I can finally... Make an appearance. By the way, kind of skimping on the skimping on the canes down here. I, I'm getting a lot of getting a lot of panda down here. A little too much, Ooh, man. Too many of this. Too many. That's Too many. Too many. Too many egg egg. Uh, fucking egg rolls. Not enough. Uh, cane sauce, bro. Texas mm. toast. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure so, everyone's gonna get what we're talking about, but of course, it's great. Why to the have fuck you. are they talking about raising canes on these kinds of podcasts? <laughs> yeah. If you know, you know. You know, Keynes is a very famous movie that takes place over the course of 24 hours. You know, it's a... <laughs> this guy's an expert podcaster already. He's already tying it together. Um, but it's oh, a long yeah. time coming. I wanted to have you on ever since we I know, man. Ritu and... Of course, dude, honestly. Embraced each other to see Stop Making Sense in person. So Oh, it was such a lovely day. Such a lovely night. We were, we were like, every time I looked over at you, we were, you and I were like bobbing over like bobbing along to it along to each song oh, yeah. like the same was... way it was so dope yeah our bond formed that night for sure yeah um, a bond of love trust <laughs> and camaraderie my brother for sure well hell yeah so i'm excited uh brendan if you want to explain why you chose this topic i mean i know personally because you're like that's like a subgenre of brendan core movies <laughs> like self-contained time periods so i guess just like express your love for that sort of a uh, movie if you will yeah, yeah. Years ago, uh, I told Jake that that subgenre of kind of movies that take place and 24 hours ish and all in one day just give me so much excitement and joy while I watch them. Um, and they're so archetypal with the paranoia and the interesting supporting characters that kind of help the main character along. I'll get into that with my picks. Um, I want to talk about that too, but. I just think there's something special about a director and a writer really 
finding that format of under 24 hours to be so thrilling and um, really captivates the the film lover. I don't know. I I, I think it's really uh, talented for these films to stick with us. And um, yeah, I think I think some of them are timeless and that's why we picked them. Absolutely. I think it's a good way yeah. to put it, too. It's like a writing exercise in a lot of ways to like that self-constraint, like put yourself in a box when you're crafting a film. And there's like a self sense of urgency, I guess, also um, when there's a giant time constraint. And we'll get into it when we're making our picks. But for time's sake, I think we're just going to jump right into it after that sort of introduction. So um, I guess we'll do let's real quick. Let's just do honorable mentions to before we give our big three. I feel like that will be more climactic that way. So. Mm-hmm. So Cynic, since you're our first time guest, uh, if you want to rattle off like one or two movies, uh, just talk about why you would maybe pick those and why they're on the periphery. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No problem. All right. Well, um, it was kind of tough not putting this one in the top three because it's one of my favorite movies. And if I ranked it, it would definitely be in the top three. But like I wanted to talk about movies that I care that I want to talk about more and not ones that I feel like have been talked about a bunch with the exception of one but we'll get into it but um my first honorable mention is going to be abbas kiarostami's taste of cherry uh, a really personal film for me and i'm sure for a lot of people who have you know at the very least experienced suicidal thoughts it's definitely not um not an easy to watch movie for those who aren't prepared for the kind of uh somewhat kind of hopeless nature of it at first at least i don't think it's a very hopeless movie in fact i actually find it very life-affirming i rewatched it kind of recently and it was very very beautiful to me and i and i um Mm -hmm. it just it it is just one of those movies that everyone i feel like can relate to just feeling like you're going nowhere there's nothing left it's over like why don't i just end it it's it's kind of fucked to think that we can all relate to it but i mean Mm -hmm. it's a very it's a sinking feeling and i feel like everyone can at least relate to the feeling of not going anywhere or being stuck in this endless void and this endless cycle that you just hate and you know the main character very relatable guy even though we don't know a lot about him um and it was filmed in a very like naturalistic way um very minimalist not really looking it's not really like a film that shows off any like crazy amazing wonders or like crazy sequences that require a lot of coordination most of it is literally just two people in a car talking and um every single one is memorable it's it's a it's it's a paradigm of great writing and dialogue while also being as minimalist as possible like there are just some scenes where it's like literally the only thing that's really all that interesting about the camera work is just how much it cuts. Like there, there are some conversations with a lot of cutting, but like it's kind of it. Everything else, it's so constrained and so grounded and so stripped back. And that's what Kiarostami really excelled at, just kind of taking a film and deconstructing it to its barest of elements and just creating this very inclusive experience in just an hour and a half like the movie's incredibly short too i really love that um and you know without spoilers it probably has one of the most one of the most interesting and head scratching endings of all time but it makes sense it like kind of is the reality check that we as people need when watching movies like that um so yeah, it, it is definitely worth talking about, but there are other movies out there that I that I feel like haven't gotten the spotlight like this movie has with Criterion buffs. And yeah, 
I, I still really love it. Um, I can mention totally. the other one I have, unless everyone yeah, wants to mention no, go one. Ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll go by one by one. But I also want okay. to say T- Taste of Cherry is one of my favorite movies ever. Hell so yeah. I'm glad you brought Been it here. up. Yeah. It, very emotional movie without really containing that much emotion. Like there aren't scenes of people just breaking down and crying and wailing about their woes. It's literally just one guy just kind of mm-hmm. looking quite stone faced, like just not even like really having any emotion, not really having any reaction. There's like one moment where he kind of like has a moment of like begging, but that's kind of, it's very stripped back and subdued. So, you know, mm-hmm. very impressive how this movie manages to have this, wrecking ball of an impact without much going on and um totally agree what's your next yeah. pick your other one my next pick is gonna definitely scratch some heads because i know a lot of people really hate this movie but i'm gonna pick elephant by gus van sant it is a movie released in i, I don't remember what year but it was definitely the early 2000s and it's um a movie about a about a school shooting very very positive movie and it um it's just kind of about several different students just going about the mundanity of the day before it turns into literal hell. Um, you know, you get different students just sort of walking throughout the halls. It's really, really ethereal. It's not really a film that focuses on the sensationalism of the intense situation that it later becomes. Even when the shooting does start, um, it's not really done in a way that kind of makes it like all that disturbing or watch well that that's not true i mean like it it's not highlighting the violence as much as it's just highlighting the moments in between and um you know when it is violent it's brutal like there are definitely some harsh moments that get me wincing and get me like cringing because you know it's hard to see this kind of shit and know that it's unfortunately a reality and the fact that it came out in 2003 like right like after columbine and you know what would later become unfortunately something that just happens far 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 too often it really does um it really does stand the test of time for me it it really is um just that you feel this tensity even if you don't like know what's coming there is this feeling of like because the way that it's shot it kind of it's kind of shot in a way that like you know, in horror movie, in horror movies, when a character is walking and it's done in this long take, and then at the very end of the take, there's a jump scare and the character dies. Almost every shot is presented in that similar way. So it kind of invokes that feeling of like, oh shit, there's something coming, but it doesn't come. And then it and then it shows another shot and then it doesn't come and then it shows another shot and it doesn't come and then it keeps going until it eventually does come and it's horrible. It is horrible and it's really effective. Um grand total of like 88 shots throughout the movie in a movie that's an hour and 20 minutes which is crazy and most of the shots happen in the second half of the film which is insane like literally the first half is only composed of i don't know maybe 20 30 shots (laughs) like that's kind of it it's pretty fucking crazy um kind of reminds me of like the way it was shot, it was shot with an Arecam spherical format camera, which is a camera that is very similar to the one that Stanley Kubrick used in, in his films with a lot of his like tracking shots. So it kind of feels Kubrickian in that um, feel in that in that way, like also being kind of stone cold and somewhat emotionless. And yeah, um, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to yap about this one for too long. I, it is uh, one that I can definitely see the criticisms. There are parts that are definitely flawed uh some characters don't get developed very well maybe some moments don't really make sense but 
I don't think it ever really was about creating the most realistic of scenarios. It's trying to be very dreamlike and very slow. And that's kind of what Gus Van Sant did for a little while. Um, yeah, it's very, again, another very minimalist film. And, you know, the title Elephant is pretty, uh, is pretty uh, purposeful, you know, like the elephant in the room kind of thing. And um, yeah, I wrote reviews for both of these uh, movies on Letterboxd that are definitely a lot more... Um, in detail in in a detail that I don't really want to go into without like, you know, going on for too long. So yeah, it, it, uh, it's just one of those one bad day movies that really gets to me every time I watch it and I fucking love it and I would recommend it. And I do understand the criticisms, but you know, personally, I find that most of the criticisms boil down to it being in poor taste and I don't entirely get that, but I can get why someone would feel that way. So whatever it is, what it is. Yeah, that's just tab- different opinions. It's hard to it's a taboo thing to bring yeah. up the criticisms for sure, but I think it's a really emotionally arresting movie. It did it won Absolutely. the Palme d'Or right in two thousand. It did, it did. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, yeah, it I did. I love that movie. Um, this is some of the best use of Steadicam and just sort of like objective filmmaking, like kind of fly mm-hmm. on the wall feeling, just hovering around this terrific event is. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. incredible. I'm glad you brought it's, it up. It creates this very unique feeling that you can't really find in other movies, especially not in movies that take place in this kind of setting, you know. Um, and also, I like movies that proper just cap that properly capture just high school. It's just something that I like, you know. I love it when a movie does it well because there are so many movies that do it so poorly. Like watching, watching fucking. <laughs> what is it like uh, 13 reasons why and like a character smokes weed and they're like, well, that's pretty killer bong hit, bro. It's like, what the fuck? Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, yeah, I I like movies that properly capture what it's like to be in high school and how mundane and boring it Mm -hmm. can be. Same here. Those are good honorable mentions, my dude. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Blair, do you want to go next? Uh, Sure. All right. Um, So I'm kind of it's kind of sucks that I didn't get to include these on my uh, list because I love these movies so much. My first one is Certified Copy, another movie by uh, Abbas Kiarostami made in 2010, I believe. And it's a really interesting one because it's like his first. um, Well, I think it's his first English film. And oh, I'm sorry, not English. Uh. Fucking! It's like it's it's multiple languages, which yeah. is which is used in the movie like uh, to really great effect. Um, I meant to say it's not it's his first film, not in um, in his in his uh, native language. Um, and Julia Binoche does probably my favorite performance of hers. It's either that or Kashi. Um, she's really brilliant in Certified Copy, and um, I forget the main actor's name um, too. But uh, he also for somebody who doesn't have a lot of huge acting credits he gives out an an outstanding performance and um there's a lot to say in terms of like the theme when it comes to like fiction and and blending uh fiction and reality and art and and uh and that kind of stuff and it's kind of hard to like delve into because it's so dense um with it with its themes but it's just a great experience like the, the movie feels like it takes place almost in like real time um i'm not sure if it's all exactly all in real time but it's it's engaging start to finish and it looks beautiful too there's there's a lot of great long lasting shots and um it just it plays with narrative in such an interesting way and uh i think everyone here also really loves certified 
copy. Um, yeah, yes. how, how do you guys feel about it? That was on my decade list, if you recall. That was like number four. Um, it sometimes competes with my favorite Kiristami up there with Taste of Cherry. Um, there's just so much. There's so much subtext behind every line in that movie. Like it's a brilliantly constructive narrative how it kind of weaves in and out of reality. Um, and like you said, Julia Binoche, like her character, the kind of emotional journey that she takes in such a condensed amount of time is like fucking incredible. Um, mm -hmm. And I think yeah, one absolutely. of Kiristami's like magnum opus is in terms of like condensing so many themes and just insanely compelling filmmaking techniques into one movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I, I fucking love it too. I mean, I, I pretty much feel the same way. Yeah. It's crazy to think that the main actor of the movie is an opera singer because like you would think from his performance that he's just like a, like a, a veteran actor who's been doing it for like 20 years. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. And also just like, I know I mentioned this, the, the look of the film, but even like the sets, it's not I mean the, the setting of the, the film is really interesting mm -hmm. and cool. It makes me want to like be in that area and be in that environment. It's really awesome. Same. Did you have another honorable mention? Yeah. My, my uh, next, my last one is uh Buffalo 66 from Vincent Gallo. Let's go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got to see this movie um and 35 millimeter last year and it was it was a great experience um seeing it on film like that um i think both vincent gallo and christina ricci do phenomenal jobs it's kind of a hard movie to watch because you're just kind of getting you're just kind of watching like a man go through like a nervous breakdown and berating his um his like girlfriend throughout the whole film but it's so it's like sweet and endearing while being pretty like toxic and abusive. And it's, it, I've never seen a movie like really blend that kind of dynamic so well to the point. I don't want to spoil like the ending, but like the ending is just so satisfying. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I can't Agreed. recommend this movie enough. It's just like, it, it's, it's filmed in a way that you've like, not a, not a lot of people have seen, like there's some really weird editing choices, but it, I think it works in the film's favor. And like I said, the, the acting is just superb. It, honestly, when you're watching this movie, it almost feels like it shouldn't work. Like this type of movie shouldn't be great, but it is like mm -hmm. a masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I it's It's a movie that somehow, like, you know, despite the main character being, for most of the film, really unlikable and really rude and mean and kind of just impossible to like, it also does manage to get you to care about him and, and kind of understand why he is the way he is. I mean, you also get to see like, it does a great job at showing like where he comes from and like what he grew up with. And, and, you know, when we get to his, you know, sort of um, arc of the film, so to speak, it, it really does. It, it makes that ending like extra satisfying for sure. Like I, 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 it's one of the most satisfying endings. It's one of my favorite endings. Ever. Probably, yeah. Any film. It's one of the best needle mm. drops in cinema, in my opinion. Oh yeah. That too. that too. And yeah. Christina Ricci also great in the film. I feel like Vincent Gallo, um, uh, you know, kind of does steal the show in, in like it being a surprise at how he directs and acts in it, but also Ricci like really holds her own. She has quite a few moments of, like where you really feel for this character, there's like a scene when they're in a hotel room and you're just like, she's like t telling him 
not to do something and he and you're just like holy fucking shit that is a great moment like great acting from miss richie yeah she's so good i love that movie a lot i mean i i think we've talked about it on the podcast many times but that's that's one of the best deconstructions on like fragile masculinity i think ever put to film in such a mm -hmm. specific hyper specific sort of tone um and like he he just knows where to put the camera too. Like he's an amazing fucking director in that movie alone. And um, some of my favorite scenes, like her, her ballet dance at the bowling alley is one of the most beautiful things. Uh, That's one of my favorite scenes of the film. Love that yeah. scene. Ben Gazzara's like opera scene. Uh, oh God, I love it so much. But also the way like the photo scene the is shot. Booth scene. Yeah, oh, yeah, the photo booth yeah, scene. The photo booth scene. Like how it's shot in that really closed in aspect ratio that, you know, yeah. Spanning time. When I saw that in theaters, I could not stop laughing. I'm sorry. It's so funny. Yeah. No, it's really say, funny. There was a weird thing where I had like for some reason like two Blu-ray copies and I gave uh -huh. one to Brendan <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And I remember you loved the movie too, so I was happy that you you, you Yeah, I've rewatched it three times, I think, by now. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it three times, just about. So good. Um, too bad he uh too bad his next movie was not great. Yeah. I, Do we want to open up that can of yeah, worms? No, no. I just, I just wanted to say it. I just wanted to say it. That's all. That's all. I'm, not, I'm trying not to open up a Vincent Gallo discourse, but <laughs> oh god, <laughs> that's happened already on the, the seven-hour episode of Cinescum. <laughs> Perry, you want to do your honorable mentions now? Um, sure. Um, so, um, my first honorable mention is Funny Games from Mikel Hanukkah. Um. It's funny because uh, for the longest time, like I thought it was an excellent film, but I never thought like would go as far as call it a masterpiece. But upon rewatch, like I have reached that conclusion. That movie is a genuine masterpiece. Um, and I think it's such a great um, critique of how violence is perceived in cinema. And uh, y'all know I'm a huge fan of A Clockwork Orange. And I think you can really feel the A Clockwork Orange influence on Funny Games. Um, I, I still think there are Mikhail Hanukkah films I prefer to Funny Games, like um, um, Amor, um, Cachet, The Piano Teacher, even The White Ribbon. But I, I am on that train that Funny Games is a masterpiece. And I even love the remake, too, even if I don't think it is as good as the original. Um and then my other honorable mention, this was originally going to be my number three, but I swapped it out for another film, is Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Um, uh, uh, Carlos and I actually got to see this on the big screen, and I was blown away by it. I just thought it was uh, phenomenal. Um, I think like a damn near perfect movie. There's like maybe one like like the actual inciting incident of someone being choked out by a rope, like the, 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 the noises you hear uh, outside of the apartment sound a bit unconvincing and very staged. But other than that, I think it's a, a practically a perfect movie. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I, I know um in terms of my personal favorite Hitchcock film, I always say that it's rope, even though I think like his magnum opus is uh, um, Vertigo. And I would even say Rear Window is probably a better movie than Rope. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but and yeah. if I'm picking a personal favorite Hitchcock film, it has to be Rope. Wow, I didn't know that about you. That's wow. based. I. It's awesome. Yeah, Vertigo is. Uh, that's another can of worms we won't open. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not um, getting with, into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking at you, Carlos. Yeah, yeah, it's Carlos. <laughs> that's a great. I haven't seen Vertigo, but that just sounds wrong. I, I like, I can't imagine. It's one of the in best world... movies ever made, in my opinion. So. Yeah, in a world. <laughs> in a world. Uh, real, one real movie quick on, uh, real We're window. One. I saw Real Window on us uh, on projected on film over Christmas break. Ooh. That's awesome. So oh. fucking good. Um, nice. That's my favorite Hitchcock. Love it's that. that it, it's film. always that and Vertigo for me. I know it's like a basic. Take yeah, on Hitchcock, it, but... but you know what? Like, no one's going to argue. No one's going to be like, what? You pick those two? What the fuck? Like, well, Brendan, you know. Brendan, I know you're Shadow of a Doubt. and um, Yeah, Shadow of a Doubt. <laughs> yeah, that movie's incredible. I haven't too. seen that one. I hear yeah. it's good. It's fantastic. I mean, he's. He's a good director. I recently watched Strangers on a Train, and I thought it was really funny and stupid, but very fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I've only... <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, no, what were you saying, Brendan? Oh, no, I was just saying uh, Strangers on a Train is another one of like my top three Hitchcocks. But yeah, I do admit it's so so silly. But I think at the time, it's so audacious. You know, like we watch it now, and we're like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, but I can at, definitely at that time, see that at the time. At yeah, I'm seeing like that carnival scene at the end. It was like the, the uncut crap. gems of its time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just such a insane idea at times. So I think that's what uh what I love oh, yeah. about it. So Nick, to... I was gonna oh, say sorry yeah. real quick. I was gonna plug my review. I think it'll make you laugh, cynic. Look it up. <laughs> Go ahead, Perry. <laughs> Strangers on a train. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all right. Funny. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, not to mention, it inspired one of the most underrated comedies of all time uh don't throw mama yeah. off the train Danny, well, that, that, Danny that is, devito picture yeah that is yep. true <laughs> you know embarrassingly i started that movie and i had no idea it was a it was a parody of hitchcock i felt so stupid not knowing i was like oh <laughs> but yeah that movie's hilarious uh brendan do you want to do yours oh uh, yeah yeah um my first one will be kind of a comedy um i'm picking clue uh, by Jonathan Lynn. Nice. Um, not only does it have such a great cast and all of the characters from one of my favorite board games is so they're so well fleshed out. You know, mm-hmm. you understand all of them and maybe their motivations to commit the murder. But I just love it, man. I think the the production design of it all, this kind of mansion and the the way that it's filmed, especially in the beginning, really sets it up nicely. Um, but I, I, I just think it's a blast. It keeps you on your toes. You know, that's what we want. in kind of one of these one day movie, uh, one of these movies that we're picking, but it also has these great supporting characters and these memorable scenes to kind of carry on the film. Um, and I love the idea with the alternate endings at the end. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if anyone else has like seen the movie here, but, um, that was so much fun, uh, popping in the Blu-ray and, kind of getting a random one every time you watch the movie so it made it endlessly rewatchable for me especially years uh, ago yeah 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 um but definitely definitely one of my favorite one one day films that i had a cut off the list and um Mm. another and my second one will be um before sunrise which i had to uh cut out of the top three um 
I think Harry's reaction. Harry's holding it. <laughs> um, oh no! But I think for me, it's just it's that splendor of you know falling in love and uh, the idea of any stranger. You know, even if it's a friend that you meet and you have that one great night with them, um, how it plays out is just so realistic and it also warms your heart. But also at the end of it all, I mean, of course, if you forget about the other two movies, you're kind of heartbroken in some way um but it does all those characteristics of what a one day film that i love about them you know you have the memorable side the set pieces the location uh the location of the film is so memorable if they're walking along uh a bridge or wherever they're kind of going to in this in this the train at the beginning um mm -hmm. It really feels like you're a part of their world, which I think all of our movies um, have to do if they're taking place in one day. You know, we have to understand the geography of it all. and We have to remember the set pieces. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, love Ethan Hawke. And um, yeah, I... I I, I really do uh, love Before Sunrise. I mean, I would have picked Before Sunset even, but that's like, you know, you could even say that's like a two hour movie, all in two know, under, hours yeah. all, all in two hours you know maybe the yeah. next podcast uh <laughs> no, but, <laughs> all in two hours movies take even place under two hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, make it even harder next time but um mm -hmm. yeah there's just something about that movie that you put it on and uh you really feel captivated uh within the world um but those would be those would be my two picks very nice um i i love that trilogy Despite the uh, the 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 naysayers out there, I get it. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I love I Daddy. <laughs> Daddy Rick's my Uncle Rick's my guy. So yeah, Uncle Rick forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'll do mine real quick, then we can get started on the actual list. Um. I'm sorry to do this to you, Brennan, but I'm starting with a movie that you don't you don't love. So, but I do <laughs> love it. It's one of my favorite movies of the century actually it's actually collateral by michael mann um nice. which i think is a fucking <laughs> great film like propulsive thriller that's so character rich like i think their duality between Cruz and fox is so well captured and what they kind of mean to each other in terms of the thematics of the movie it's got one of my favorite uh action sequences in any movie in the nightclub with the steady cam it's just fucking so jaw-dropping um and yeah, I just in terms of all in one day movies, also this captures the essence of what LA and how fucking horrendous it is to be stuck in traffic and just to be having to oh go around all day. All day. Um, yeah. And I really appreciated it more when I realized that um, the digital cinematography, I think, is just so gorgeous. I, I know it's divisive for Michael Mann fans, but I think it, this is like the best version of that digital cinematography to have this sort of raw kinetic realism that he does so well um in this movie agreed i could watch i could literally throw on this movie like once a once a year maybe even more i just love this movie um i love and it my, too my other one um which actually swapped in last minute is gummo by harmony corinne um uh i can't believe he made that movie when he was 18 years old it's just such a incredibly specific aesthetic and like the the filming the cinematography like the the uh the grain of it all it just adds so much to the griminess of this movie um and such a time capsule for when it came out when independent cinema was like really booming 
and really unique and kind of up and coming voices like Corinne and all the, as for mentioned, other directors that were coming up during that time. Um, and yeah, just like a profoundly beautiful movie that, you know, for better or worse, jump started Harmony Corinne's career. Um, I'm on the side where, you know, I, I love his movies and I think this is probably up there with Spring Breakers as his best movie, in my opinion. And yeah, like the spaghetti scene in the bathtub and them biking down the what? street. Like, there's some just incredibly striking imagery in this movie that's just unforgettable. Um, so yeah, those are my two honorables. I I, I know Blair loves Gummo. I don't know how y'all. Uh, it's a masterpiece. It's probably, it's <laughs> at least in my top 50 favorite films of all time. Yeah, it's one um, of my favorites too. I enjoyed it when I saw it. I've seen it twice and I haven't seen it in so long. And I really wanted to rewatch it because I knew you were going to bring it. I really wanted to rewatch it so that I could have like a new newly found perspective on whether I love it or don't love it. But I'm not particularly the biggest fan of Kareen, but I'm so happy he exists. The movies he makes are definitely like so influential on like underground filmmakers that just take a camera outside and just start and just turn it on and film shit. And I really love that he just makes whatever the fuck he wants. Like if, if agro drift isn't like the perfect <laughs> representation of just how much of a, how many fucks he doesn't give. I can't I, wait to see that. That's I'm so excited yeah. to see agro drift so for real. Space. But like Gummo is like one of the movies from him that I remember enjoying more than the others. I, I don't, I don't think I would, uh, my opinion on it would change, um, would go lower. I, I think that if I enjoyed it back then, I, I would probably enjoy it probably more now because I would probably have more appreciation for it. I, I watched it before I really knew what different uh, avenues of cinema were capable of. Right. I get that. I just, Harmony Korean, I just love, I mean, some, I have really fond memories. Like I remember Brendan was here for this. I, I think I turned it was like my 22nd birthday. I just forced a bunch of my friends to watch Spring Breakers <laughs> one night after like that was fun, yeah. we, were, we were out nice. training and stuff. And it was I just it was a really fond memory. Spring, uh, and then a few nights like oh, last week, we all watched it on the discord, which was amazing. That was such a fun night. <laughs> yeah, I, I said I couldn't be I'm sad I couldn't be there, but I, I, I'm, I just knew you guys were having a shit ton of fun and that made me happy. It was so fun. There were no detractors, so it was it was such a good yeah. time. I, uh, Hell I was, yeah, I was shocked. Yeah, Carlos wasn't there. That's why there wasn't any detractors. God, I remember. I remember the old days where like I thought it was fine, and then like Perry hated it, and Blair loved it, and every time like they they would like fight over it every here and there, and it was funny. The Spring Breakers uh, arcs, Island, man, holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> it used to be such a lonely place defending Spring Breakers. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. When I joined, it was literally just like Blair and Kalen that were like, <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah. And everyone else is like shitting on it. But everyone's everyone's converting to the, the light side of history. So <laughs> I think it's a really enjoyable satire. I really like it. Ten um, out of ten G- masterpiece. Definitely James Franco's best performance. <laughs> oh, yeah. By far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sprang, brang. Every time there's like a divisive film in the Discord, everyone's already always sweating. Like, what did Perry think of this film? I need <laughs> Bro, louder. that's honestly real. I'm like the opposite. People are like, don't let him fucking watch it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. People that's, don't want me to watch the divisive. I'm scared ones, to loan you any of my favorite movies because I know you slap it with a six. <laughs> and yeah, break my heart. 
<laughs> I'll never forget Napoleon Dynamite. Oh my god, that's a that's egregious. Napoleon Dynamite's so good. It's so funny. Napoleon Dynamite's fun. I like yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. Right. Would you slap it with like a five? Light seven. <laughs> what do you mean? I light seven. I like you it. You had it at a six originally. I did have it at a six originally. That's called what a char- right. that's a character right. arc, my boy. All right. Let's not let's not let's not invade Cynic just yet. Let's we'll <laughs> not <wait>. yet. <laughs> yeah, wait. We'll wait to the end of pounds because I I knew this was gonna happen. Hell Jake, yeah. I will say I'm... this man literally said, "Oh, Napoleon Dynamite is cinema." Six out of ten. I knew that was gonna. I knew uh... that was. I knew that was coming. I love that was one of. My, that's probably. I'm glad I said that. That like that because it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> Never eating fucking tater tots with you ever again. How fucking dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Fuck you, kid. Nah, I love. Nah, I love. Man. Okay. I love the discourse. Yeah, let's go. We got let's the honorables it. out of the way. Um, so we're in our top three. Um, yeah, that's really it. Cynic. Oh boy. Number three. All right, Ant Man and Souffle are really going to be on my on my side for this one. But my number three is going to be a 1968 film starring Burt Lancaster, The Swimmer. Very, very amazing movie, and I rewatched it tonight, so I have a I have a I have a like new newfound appreciation and perspective on it. So this movie is about Burt Lancaster. He plays a man named Ned Merrill, and he goes for a swim in one of his neighbor's pools or one of his like friends pools. That's how the movie opens. And, you know, they talk and they have fun. And then at the, at the end of the conversation, he looks out into the distance across the neighborhood and he realizes that he can quite technically form a river home. He like creates this imaginary path in which he takes these backyard swims through these people's, um pools and he takes that way home he's basically just invading people's property swimming in their pool and then just going off and going to the next it's a weird concept it's a very bizarre idea but it's a film that really utilizes not only being in one day but it's in one neighborhood one location you never really leave this area it's in i think it i don't know where it is exactly i think it's like upstate new york or something like definitely away from new york city but a character says that they work in new york city so it's definitely near that area could also be new jersey but whatever anyway over the course of the film you know encountering these different people that live in his neighborhood he encounters people that like and respect him at least you know on the surface and then you've got people that just downright hate his guts and you the sort of veil is pulled away from Burt Lancaster's character over the course of the film you get to see your image of this character kind of deteriorate into something that you'd never thought was possible because you know Burt Lancaster in this film he plays a at first at least he's a very charming guy like he has a lot of he's got a lot of like zingers he's kind of having fun everybody likes him he's chill he's calm he's he's a chill guy and then as the film goes on and he starts encountering more people that don't like him very much he you start to see this side of him that you didn't even suspect was there and then he you know like the more you know, you watch this movie once and you see him as kind of a charming guy through the first half of the film. And then during the second half and then after and then all watches after this movie, he you look at him and you're like, you're a fucking creep. You are weird. You are gross. You are manipulative. It the way that this movie slowly reveals who this person is 
is so fucking memorable and unique. And it all just kind of stems from this very weird concept of a guy just swimming, quote unquote, swimming home. And, you know, the first half of the movie is kind of like this. It kind of when I was rewatching, I noticed this something very interesting. It's kind of like a dreamlike presented film. Like all the colors are like kind of turned up, like everything looks brighter. Characters are more like, you know, overly positive and kind of sappy and they kind of sound like 50s actors but then in the second half when he starts encountering more people that you know are more he starts getting more of a reality check you start getting more realistic acting more like world weary kind of sad people sad characters the colors become more realistic and it slowly evolves into an ending that i won't spoil but like just like a, a, a taste of cherry, it's like the most humbling reality check. Not that we, the audience, needs, but the character needs. And you get to see him like just completely change over the course of this hour and a half runtime. Which, by the way, the movie, the span of the movie is only really like an hour and a half or two hours. So what we're seeing is quite literally the real time um, down downfall decline of this person. And... um yeah, it's it's also very purposeful to have Burt Lancaster playing him because, you know, in 1968, when this film came out, I mean, Burt Lancaster was already like kind of went through a lot of his prime days. He was all, he was he wasn't really much of a heartthrob anymore. He like had to actively get in shape for this film because the entire film, he's just in tight swim trunks like he he doesn't wear he wears a towel at some point. But aside from that, he doesn't wear any other article of clothing. And, you know, this movie really does grow on you. It it it. it the way that this film kind of brings out the reality of the situation, it kind of feels like you're experiencing it in real time and relating to this character in any way is just gross. Like you just, you're just like, Oh God, I don't want to relate to this guy. It's so weird. So, you know, it plus, uh, sorry, something I didn't know how to segue into, but kind of wanted I want to talk about the score of this film is beautiful and at first in the first half like i said it has this more dreamlike ethereal quality and then as the film goes on it gets more dramatic and more like it gets more dramatic and grounded and it's really purposeful it's a very memorable main theme like those high strings i, I don't want to recreate it here i feel like that'd be <laughs> make your ears bleed i don't want to do that to you but um yeah, I I absolutely love this movie and I and I really hope that um it just gets more traction cuz like I look on IMDb it has less than 20,000. I look on Letterboxd it has less than 40,000 or something and that's low, man. Like a lot of classic 60s movies have like 200, 300,000 and I'm like I think The Swimmer is like one of the prime character studies of the 60s and it deserves to be seen. It really is best Burt Lancaster performance. I I love it to death. It has such a unique sense of atmosphere and location. It's very well shot. Um, I have more to say, but I, I don't want to get into spoiler territory. But if anyone else has anything to say that I can sort of piggyback on and reveal more of without spoiling, I'd be very happy mm -hmm. to do that. So anybody who's seen The Swimmer, would would you guys agree? Like, <laughs> what, what, what do you think? I 100% agree. I, I, I really love the swimmer myself. I think it's an excellent film and I agree with you. It may be Burt Lancaster's best performance. It's either that or, um, his, um, 
performance as JJ in uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, that was the other one yeah. I was thinking of. Love that movie. Um, but I think what's interesting is we were just talking about Buffalo 66 and uh, fragile masculinity. I would say that's a huge motif of uh, the swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it kind of ties into um, thematically what Buffalo 66 uh, touches on, even if it goes about doing it in a, uh, obviously a very uh, different way. And it's funny mm-hmm. because you were talking about how the film is split up into two halves and how the score and the acting are more upbeat, uh, more dreamlike in the first half, it's because um, we're seeing it through, seeing everything through Burt Lancaster's perspective. And of course, yeah. Burt Lancaster, who, who's, who's basically a narcissist, who has main character syndrome, this is how he's seeing everybody until that, until that, uh, until his, like, until his world starts to deteriorate and his worldview mm-hmm. starts to change. Because this whole mission of, going through all of uh, all of his neighbor's pools and swimming back to his house. It's like, he's approving something to himself. Like, you know, I'm still a man. I'm still young. I still, I'm still a sprung chicken in some way when it's in reality, it's like, no, you're not. And um, your charm is fading. You, you really need to come to terms with your mortality and your dwindling, dwindling masculinity. Yeah. And in that first watch, you're fooled, just like you're fooled by the charm, just like everybody else would be, at least not that they are, but they would be. And then when you see him on your second watch, you know, the veil and you know, the tricks and you're and you immediately see the more of the foreshadowing to what's really going on. And that like literally like there's like a look, there's like a cut where there's an immediate snap like a foreshadow moment where you're like oh shit nothing that's not right like something about this is not right and it's literally in the first 10 minutes and you don't notice that on your first watch because you're kind of just captivated by this guy like again he's very charming when you don't know what he's like for real and then when you do know nothing can fool you and he just becomes this pathetic old loser (laughs) and and right Again, like, God, what a creep. Like, <laughs> this time when I was watching it, I noticed a lot more of just, like, the kind of creepy things he would say, the creepy, like, hand gestures he would do. <laughs> Sometimes, like, the un- like in the first 10 minutes, he goes up to a neighbor and spanks her ass, and he, like, he like says that as, like, a welcome. And I know it's a 60s movie. That's – I get it. It's sort of a generational thing. But that also just, like – I'm just like, ew, what the fuck is wrong? <laughs> like, ew, that's gross. Ew, gross. Yeah. You almost feel sorry for these people because it's like, if you stop and think about it, just how pathetic they are. The fact that they're so like attached to this, like masculine ideal that they idea of, they have of themselves. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's like, you got to understand at the end of the day, everything is just decaying organic matter and your, yeah. your masculinity ain't for shit. You know, you're just decaying organic <laughs> matter preach just in life that's a good mantra to have yeah i um, the way I, you guys talk about this movie i just want to say real quick i i no, go ahead. wanted to see it for years um because to me it seems like such a deconstruction on like masculinity but also this weird like late 60s americana sort of feel just with the with the way you guys describe it with this kind of layout of this weird suburbia it just sounds like something i would it's like i don't know i don't know if it's in like vein of like 
it makes me think of like John Waters or something weird, just the terms of the locations. So it, it makes me really want to see it. But yeah, I, I it's love a the great way film. Talk about it. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have. That. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I don't have a whole lot to add because it's not super fresh in my head, but I basically echo everything that Perry and uh, Xander say. It's super, um, it's like a super uncomfortable watch. Like, like as soon as that charm wears off, it's just, you like, like you said, you, you get a real sense of this guy's true identity. And uh, one thing I love is just how the implications of like this very rich history between this guy and the people that he's like um, interacting with and like in in it's a rich history like in a negative way like there's a lot of things that like, yeah you don't see but are bar implied that this guy has been has a history of doing these things and like it now it's just like hitting them all at once like a train yeah i i would highly recommend this uh film to douglas Sirk fans because in terms of its yeah. aesthetic and how it um mm -hmm how it uh analyzes uh suburbia and kind of uh you know uh suburban people suburb suburbanite um it reminds me a lot of douglas sirk uh films uh it's a rigging endorsement <laughs> i love douglas yeah sirk. at least in the first half that i was really reminded of douglas sirk when i was watching it um and you know the first time i saw it i hadn't seen any douglas sirk movies so um, and neither did I ha had I at the time I second the second time I watched it. So, you know, this third time really was the moment where I really clued into that first half, second half thing, because, you know, the first time and second time I watched it, I almost saw that as like an issue. I was like, why does this why do they seem so different in a way that doesn't feel right? Like what what it, what is it about this? But then, yeah, now seeing it um, with that new perspective of seeing a Douglas Sirk movie, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, Oh, mm. that's, that's why this is the way it is. And it works so much in the film's favor. Nice. I love that stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen bigger than life by Nicholas Ray, but there's like a, there's this like terrifying sort of underbelly of, of just middle America and like the suburbs that it's so like, it's so cinematic early, especially in those like early Technicolor movies. Um, I think Perry, we we've talked about that movie. I know you've seen it too, right? I just watched it last month. It's funny yeah. because you always ask people start the pod off with talking about like recent films that we watched that we wanted to talk about. And if we were going to do that tonight, I was going to bring up bigger mm. than because I'm a huge Nicholas Ray fan. I love that movie. And Brendan, you've seen it too, right? I think yeah, yeah. You yeah. let me uh rent it one time, yeah. Yeah, this the Absolutely big C. Love it. Yeah, that movie's yep. the best. Um cool. Shout out to James Mason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just watched the verdict uh, a few weeks ago too, and he's fucking incredible in that movie. I really want to see that. He's the so biggest, good in it. Biggest shit bag ever. I love him. Yeah. He's great. He's yeah. also great in Odd Man Out, the Carol Reed film. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's, he's I need to see that too. Yeah. Great so picks. anyway, the, the swimmer pick, yeah. love it to pieces. It's the only movie that Frank Perry made that I guess is like really well acclaimed. And also, mm. I think Burt Lancaster himself says it, it was his it was his favorite role. And you know, the movie also had like a lot of trouble development. Like apparently, it ran out of funding or something. And Burt Lancaster had to shell out his own cash to like finish the production or something. And apparently, there was like on set disputes. Like it's one of those you know, tr there it's one of those uh, trouble. Uh, behind the camera movies too. There's like a two and a half hour documentary on the Blu-ray that I wanted to watch today, wow. but I 
would have been too yeah it would have been a little too much um to do especially because i already had a, a different two and a half hour movie i had to rewatch today that we'll get to but yeah that's the but swimmer I, for me if you haven't seen it watch it i will i will now for sure it's high on the list fuck yeah okay cool blair do you want to go next sure um so my um uh, number three pick is shiva baby by yes. emma Seligman. Yeah. shout out to my friend um souffle or tomas um he gave me this movie this is a vinegar syndrome um title or uh partner label whatever uh for my birthday in 2022 so awesome gift but uh no yeah this um this movie is easily one of my favorites of the 2020 so far um funny story like me and uh xander like got our hands on watching this movie like super early on this was like before a poster was even like was even like available um i just heard from like early reviews saying that it's like this um a really well-written dark comedy and i just you know threw it on during the pandemic um and was fucking blown away by how amazing this movie is um and i'm so happy that um rachel senna is like now like a household name and obviously emma seligman she made uh bottoms uh from from last year which was another really great movie um they couldn't be more different and i do prefer (laughs) shiva baby um it's it's so like anxiety inducing and like it's so awesome because that movie it really does shine purely with its acting editing and direction like there's not there's not really a whole lot to it when it comes to like the filmmaking there's no like flashiness it's just about this girl who goes to um uh, this girl who's um, a sex worker who goes to um her this funeral um with her family and just gets in this in these like um funny and dark shenanigans the whole time and it just feels so natural like when you're watching the movie it um like it, it feels like this is already like a seasoned director who just already knows what she's doing and and has like movies under her belt but no this is like her uh feature debut film which is super impressive and uh just from Shiva Baby alone, like I'm so interested in anything both Rachel and Emma uh, signed their name on because it just displays a lot of talent and uh, it's it's just a completely entertaining watch from from start to finish. Um, yeah, I I can't imagine like if you're if you're into movies like this is one that like most people love. So if if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah, and it's so it's so relatable almost because you know sometimes you go to those family gatherings, and you're like, oh, what awkward event is going to transpire here? Mm-hmm. Almost, mm-hmm. Um, what what secret will be revealed about me? Who might be here and break up that part of my life? And the chaos of it kind of just gets worse and worse as the film the film develops. And uh, I really like it's like a. I think someone put it at that time. They're like, this is like uncut gems, but the um, kind of female uh, angle of it all, <laughs> um, or the I family, the family angle of it all too. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just a phenomenal movie. Yeah. Emma Seg- Seligman, Seligman. I forgot. However you say her Seligman. last name. Yeah. Yeah. She, her and Rachel are like two of my favorite, like up and coming 
people in in the filmmaking industry right now like maybe bottoms i love too like they're just so they're so dialed into making like really yeah fun and original i mean shiva baby's very uh i mean it's just like like blair was saying it's the most just it, the way it utilizes every aspect of the medium so well that like at a really limited budget and how just magical and and kind of frenetic it all feels it's crazy um and just I, yeah for sure I can't, I can't wait to rewatch the i also have the vinegar syndrome blu-ray i've been meaning to pop it in um because that, that movie i could watch like any time because it's like an hour oh, just over an hour um so rewatchable it's, yeah. so rewatchable. it's very rewatchable <laughs> it i get the comparisons to uncut gems and i i agree with them too but i i think it also and is much heavily more reminiscent of Cresha from 2015 yeah. Yeah. um oh, yeah, not yeah. just in terms of not just in terms of like being uncomfortable in this family setting but even the score like uh, the score is actually one of my minor issues with shiva baby is that i feel like the score is a little reminiscent of Cresha at times in ways where i'm like i kind of wish it was a little different but at the same time i still love them both very very much and I, they're also kind of different in the way that they're shot and the way that they're presented. So it's kind of hard to compare the two. But yeah, in terms of content, in terms of score, in terms of themes, like it feels very similar to Cresha too. Both of which are fantastic movies. I really love them, yeah. and I would recommend Cresha if you haven't seen it. Edward Schultz. I be think they're intense. That director. But I yeah, think. one of them is a lot more about repairing yeah. trauma, whereas the other is about creating trauma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like Shiva Baby definitely um is the traumatic moment that separates the family, whereas Krisha is the Thanksgiving many years later to repair said moment or something. Well, actually, that's not entirely true, but you know what I, I mean. mean. Yeah. Krisha is much more of a. I feel like Shiva Baby is a more zany look at family, where Krisha is a very like down and dirty reconstruction of like. Oh his yeah, experience with his own family and how kind of I mean irreparable some of the relationships are. Like Shiva Baby has a comedic yeah. lens like the whole time, in my opinion. Like mm -hmm. I, I laugh. Rachel Senna's very funny. She's in she's it. like the funniest. She's brilliant person. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, no one texts anymore, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's so good. Crisha, uh, no, very... you don't laugh at all. Like that's a... no, at no. least not not like intentionally. Or well, eh, that's not. Yeah, it's that movie's pretty... like a fucking Radiohead album or something. That it's movie's fucked. <laughs> like that movie, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I I love Shiva Baby and and its score, and I also love it's very closed in cinematography. It's not very. It doesn't really give you time to breathe very much, and the few times it does, there's still something on screen that kind of makes you uncomfortable. Um, you know, speaking of that story that Blair mentioned, yeah, I, I watched it at a film festival um, that was doing an online program thing back in 2020. And then I don't remember exactly how it happened. Either I sent her the link to watch the movie or I told her that there was a there was a film festival that was doing it that she could attend that would send her a link or it was one of those two but yeah you it was like me, me link, and her yeah yeah okay i i genuinely didn't remember but yeah no literally that's how we watched it and then we kind of sat on it for months just waiting for it to get released it was very very um tough time knowing that we both had seen this really great movie long before a lot of our friends did and we just like we were just like yeah guys you would really enjoy this just just wait for it to come out see it trust us like and yeah it really and is it's kind great. of blown up like i mean it's yeah huge. i mean yeah. it's huge within like the penal lord community i guess if you want to call it that like uh yeah letterbox fan base whatever 
It's definitely going to inspire filmmakers for sure. It, it, I can see it being cited as like a, an inspiration because it's kind of like a low budget filmmaker's dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much the budget was in like film schools forever. I mean, I like would that. teach it in my film class at least. I'd yeah. be like, Hey, you know what? You want to know how to create intensity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great pick Blair. Uh, yeah. The Perry, you are next. Um, so I'm not going to spend too long on my number three because we've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, we actually brought it up, I believe, in our best of 70s um, decade video. And that would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Um, I just think it's a perfect horror film, uh, just a perfect film in general. Um and I feel like it's just, I honestly go back and forth what my favorite horror film is, whether it's The Thing or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but like I said, I'm not going to spend too long on this one since we talked about it on the pod before. But that's my number three. Yeah, we have Love that one a lot, but also a based pick. That is brilliant. I, I finally decided yeah. that's my favorite horror movie. Um, that's based. That's it's like, top three for me. Easily, that's the, it's a great movie. Yeah, there's a lot to pick, obviously, but it's it's like the most pure, horrific filmic experience I could think of. I just another like visceral. low budget, another yeah. low budget filmmaker's wet dream. Just like yeah. knowing that someone can create this and make it into something that's just so phenomenally phenomenally successful, um, and create like this huge thing. It's also like Evil Dead in that way. But evil, I think this came this came first before Evil Dead. So yeah, I, not not trying to com- say that Evil Dead inspired this movie, of course. And it, it jump started like American independent horror for as it we did. Know it. Like that's like, like the, yeah, that's ground level with like Night of the Living Dead to be uh just the yeah the jump start of American horror in my opinion. Still holds up yeah, to this day. Too. Texas Chainsaw still holds yeah. up. Oh I yeah, I easily. It. I rewatched so it like horrific. last year still moments where like she's being chased in the forest with the chainsaw guy and like chainsaws being as loud as they are like you're you're you immediately put yourself in her shoes just like knowing that there's like this guy with a chainsaw behind it's so easy to get into her shoes without knowing much about her only knowing that like there's a maniac with a fucking chainsaw chasing after her and you knowing how loud chainsaws can be and what damage they can cause it immediately just like instantly transports you into her shoes and it's really well done yeah i mean toby hooper is such a i always call them like an avant-garde horror director because if you see his other movies like they're they're just so sensory you know like they really cut right deep to the cord of just how what horror is like to the body more to like he did the second one right yeah Yeah, i mean that that movie i I love that movie but it's like a straight-up comedy Um, (laughs) dennis hopper yelling bring it all down bring it all down it's a it's a certified (laughs) banger i don't even care oh for Um, sure i love it but yeah good night and if if that if that's like the all in it also created the all in one day sort of horror movie too if you think about it that way because like that's It's like it's arch- very yeah. Well, night, yeah. night of the Living Dead also was that way yeah. too. So I, I yeah, but true. yeah, it definitely um kickstarted this kind of subgenre of horror movies in that yeah. that grimy, grindhouse kind of feel. Really love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's my favorite. I love it. Uh, Brendan, do you want to go? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So my number three pick 
is 2015's Tangerine, directed by Sean Baker. Um, nice. Yeah, so with this movie, what I find so captivating, first off, is kind of the juxtaposition between how loud the film could be, but it's really so beautiful and it's kind of quiet moments, you know? Yeah. Um, whether that's with <laughs> Alexandra's performance um, and kind of the makeup scene in the bathroom, or oh, yeah. whether that's with kind of the more quiet um, moments early on, uh, whether that's like the car wash scene or, um, mm. you know, something like something like that is actually kind of beautiful and it really shines um, there. But also just the loud and aggressive kind of scenes in the film and whether that's the ending with the donut shop where everyone's just talking over each other. Um, <laughs> you really feel like you're not even watching a movie that you're just experiencing it, um, which is one of Sean Baker's talents in his other movies, Florida Project and Red Rocket. Um, he's also great at showing a location. Um, you really feel a part of the world. It You really see how gritty, dirty uh, that the section of LA is that it's taking place at. Um, but again, it's juxtaposed with how beautiful the lighting is and when she's singing um, or even with their friendship and how comforting uh, the ending is. Sorry to spoil it, but uh, with the laundry mat. Um, so I think constantly Tangerine is playing with that kind of juxtaposition. I just really wanted to highlight it because I, I loved it uh, the first time I watched it. But then secondly, um, I think another part of the film that I love is how relatable it could feel. You know, I think to anyone that is watching it, um, you could feel kind of lost in your life, you know? Um, and it's kind of about self-expression and friendship too. Um, Cause Alexandra, she just wants to escape and she's really looking forward to that performance. Um, but things are kind of combating that and people aren't showing up for it. It's kind of quiet. Um, but what she really is searching for is just her own comfort in this kind of harsh and brutal world outside. And even Cindy's searching for it too. Um, she thought she had love with the Armenian guy, but mm -hmm. it was soon betrayed. When, you know, mm -hmm. she went, uh, she finds out, or maybe I'm mixing it up a little bit. I think it was the other guy uh, yeah. that uh, had the affair with her, but um, it's kind of like, you, you think you have this kind of beacon of expression, um, but it could kind of all be shattered down, but it's kind of your friendship with uh, anyone in the world that could really mm -hmm. comfort you in those moments. Uh, definitely signified by the ending and even through the performance, which I think is one of the most beautiful scenes in that, in that film um, is really that five kind of minute, five minute scene. Um and then lastly, the only other thing I really wanted to highlight, um, of course, we all know about the iPhone, you know, um, yeah. kind of uh, gimmick, of course, with the movie. Insane. Um, but it's insane. And and I think, again, it goes like Shiva Baby and countless other films that really inspire you. And you're, you want to go out and after you finish the movie, you're like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to start writing the script or I'm going to go and shoot the short film that I want to do. I don't know. It's just um you feel like anything could happen and i feel like this movie i don't know if everyone else agrees but it kind of jump-started this like 
this new American, new American movement of independent cinema, you know, we had the nineties, yeah. we had the nineties with like Steven Soderbergh's film and uh, Gus Van Sant, who uh, you spoke about too. But I feel like this, this film kind of kickstart the underground. I mean, we, we saw underground filmmaking in, in the 2000s, of course, but I feel like it jump-started it to a new level. Um, like the 2010s that, Americana? Yeah, yeah, the 2010s Americana, where we saw more films similar to this, where um, not only, it was, it was also the expression of uh, people that don't, didn't always have a film about them, you know? Mm-hmm. So... It was underrepresented. The underrepresented. That's what I was thinking about with the new Americana movement. It was kind of through the 2016s onwards. I mean, the film after this one, Moonlight 2016, that wins the best picture. That was another film kind of underground. I mean, not as underground as this one, but, you know, Mm -hmm. a movie where really about the underrepresented uh, kind of communities getting um, their film uh, made and in, in, in the right way. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a, a lovely movie and it takes place on Christmas Eve. You know, you can't yeah. uh can't it's a help Christmas but, movie. Yeah, and it's a Christmas movie. You can't help but love the backdrop with the Christmas lights and mm-hmm. uh everything else going on. So somewhat reminiscent yeah. of Eyes Wide Shut in that regard, just like the Christmas light yeah. aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really good thread about tangerine i really yeah that was awesome has, if anyone else has something to say <laughs> james yeah. ransone playing the pimp is amazing yeah <laughs> that's that that's who it was that yeah. um, i fucking cindy love is him. yeah 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 he's i like love him a, too he's such a cornball i love him yeah. he is yeah. he's, he's a goo he's a goober he's a goober. i mean yeah, sorry, he comes sim- in with the do-rag and the similar to what yeah, you were like, saying uh, he's like the uh He's kind of like you expect the guy to be kind of this brooding pimp, and then he shows up. He's kind of like this demasculated fucking. I like I like watch him, guy. and I'm like, yeah. I could kick this guy's ass. Like, and then yeah. like, it's so sorry. Funny. We interrupt. I interrupted Blair. I, I'm I'm so sorry. What were you gonna no, say? No, no, it, it's cool. I was just gonna express that um, Tangerine is probably my favorite Sean Baker film. It, I I I adore this film. It's um it left such a huge impression on me when I first watched it. Um, for all mm-hmm. the reasons you know Brendan said, it's a uh, really inspiring and i love that it's mm-hmm. like uh it you know it's part of the lgbt um canon i guess if you want to call it that um mm-hmm. and yeah it, it's, it's a it's a brilliant film it's also kind of relatable being someone who's been to la and actually has been yeah. to some of the locations in the film like that it's really, shop it's like really i've been like, on that yeah. street it's it's really fun yeah. kind of knowing where these places are and just knowing that they're not that far away um yeah, it's just a really. I like it when movies kind of take place in a in in a place near me, so I can kind of relate to the setting a little bit. And yeah, I I really enjoy that. Really love Tangerine. Like right down the street to where like the Cinerama Dome used to be. Sometimes, yeah. Also, like holy shit, oh, wow. I've seen like that those drugstore like that that block and stuff. Um, and yeah, I it's up there similar to Blair uh, as my favorite sean baker like that or red rocket actually nice um i think i, I pre- yeah i think i prefer red rocket a little bit but i do I like this more than yeah. uh florida project i think i think i like this more than florida project it's like this and red rocket florida project and like starlet takeout they're all i love yeah. all of them though like they're all great they're all great i yeah. still want to mm-hmm. see takeout i still really want to see takeout takeout's amazing that's a it's great like the only one i haven't seen perfect all-in-one day movie too like oh i didn't know it was an all-in-one no, day movie if, I, if, oh, wow. if my appearance yeah. if my appearance was more planned out i would have watched a handful of yeah. ones that i've missed and I there's a lot i mean this. this we all have different picks so there's so many 
Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad we do. But yeah, that was that was great. I love Tangerine. Um, okay, I will go next with my number three. With the one that I switched out for Gummo, um, was actually Magnolia by Parrot Teacher Association. Paul <laughs> probably the most jam-packed all-in-one day movie this is a three hour and some change epic um about yeah. several different people um this is just a really meaningful movie to me like i saw it really early on in my love of movie watching um before right i barely even knew who pta was i had like probably seen boogie nights and there will be blood before mm-hmm. this but the, the this movie taps into such a visceral emotional kind of just like hurricane of just emotions like it it kind of runs the gambit of so many different threads and so many incredible performances um the god uh the uh the the songs of this movie by amy mann are just like unforgettable um and you know pta uh i mean you could criticize this movie now in some respects because like this is kind of him before he was more restrained um and became kind of to me, when he became a peak filmmaker with like, you know, it was kind of post punch drunk love and he kind of settled down in terms of trying to pack too much into all of his movies and <clears throat> just kind of became more methodical with his construction. But Magnolia still, to me, holds up really, really super well. Um, and it's like a deeply personal movie for him because I remember he had lost his father recently um, and this that kind of what it jump started him to write this movie. Um, and you can see that like in the um in the thread with Tom Cruise I'm, I'm blanking on his name um Jason Robards um and there's just so much personal threads that you can see in this movie that are so deeply resonant to me um it's also I think a lot of these actors like it's their finest work like I think this is Tom Cruise's best performance uh ever um William H Macy's incredible like it's just such a great ensemble it's like such a treat to see all these people have fully realized fleshed out characters um and just the whole message of the movie, I mean, sorry to spoil it if you guys have any of you haven't seen it, but just kind of like the idea of just fighting on in this really unjust and unfair and just tragic world where, you know, things happen that you can't control. And that collectively you feel this energy of all these people and you just it's so life affirming in that way, as devastating as this movie gets. But just that emotional punch is why this that movie kind of holds up to me. Um, and just on a constructive level, like the, the way he balances like 10 different characters and plot lines all in one day um, is just so masterfully done in my opinion. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, this, this movie just personally really meaningful, but I also think is a really important mo- movie in the canon of PTA. Um, and as Brennan was saying, like when nineties cinema, like independent cinema, this was like kind of a stepping stone for PTA after Boogie Nights and kind of shot him out into more, mainstream hollywood and stuff so yeah yeah i don't know what you guys we've never really talked about magnolia on the pod so i'm ex- eager to hear what you guys think of magnolia i gotta see this movie i haven't seen it <laughs> it's kick-ass it sounds I, so interesting i i used to think this movie was like one of the lesser ptas i used to think that it was like just like a light eight out of ten just like it's really good but it like kind of suffers in the first act and Oh my god, that <laughs> like when I rewatched it, I'm like, God damn, like does someone like slip me fucking drugs in my food? Like, how do I think of these fucking takes? Like, it's so good. It is a very 
very relatable film. Yeah, you said about just like trekking on, going on in this world that feels as if sometimes it's actively rooting against you, you know. Right. Um, yeah. and, and also, this is one of the funniest of PTA's films. Like I know Boogie Nights is mo is somewhat kind of a comedy, but this movie I find to be funny in that like relatable way, you know, like mm-hmm. um there are just scenes in this movie where like characters are yelling at each other and I can't help but kind of chuckle because it's like, this feels this just so real to how people react and you can't mm-hmm. help but laugh because what's your other option. It's kind of hard to just stare at it blankly. Like when, for example, when the kid's dad gets mad in the control room, when he's not answering the question on TV, it's like, oh, yeah. it's, I'm just like, I'm, it just immediately fucking makes me bust a gut. It's so funny. It's it, funny. it like, yeah, it's it Julianne Moore too, and she like freaks out in the pharmacy. Like, it's oh not like busted laughing, yes. but it's like it's like holy fuck! Like she just unloads on them. Like and, uh, she just fucking goes off, and I'm like, damn. And also that scene where she kind of like vents to the home care guy about the things she's done. I've been in that position. Up. Where, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's all. Just, hey, that's all, yeah. Like it, I've been in that position, mm-hmm. and it's like it's so uncomfortable. And seeing how the film like shows that it's really entertaining but also very relatable and yeah like every actor fantastic sorry i don't want to i don't want to go on much further probably probably the second most or third most striking score by um yeah in this film yeah Yeah, john bryan who i really love um you know he's no johnny greenwood but they're both very different people so i don't compare them but uh yeah it's like for me it's like there'll be blood phantom thread magnolia in terms of scores i think you know for pta yeah it's so good um and also i just want to say if you like i know we mentioned robert altman briefly before we started (laughs) but oddly enough like this movie is very indebted to like Nashville and shortcuts and in a really yep. profound way. Like he, he idolized those movies so much. And this is kind of like his homage as you will to those multiple character threads and intersecting lives in cinema. Like that's kind of what Altman pioneered. So I just love yeah. those types of movies. Apparently like Ingmar Bergman loved this movie too. Like he was a big fan oh, that's of the right. movie. Yeah. 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 That's and also crazy. a lot of the paintings in the film were done by Fiona Apple. That was something really. Kind of- yeah, it was like a little bizarre oh, moment that I kind of discovered um, while doing research for this movie yeah. a while back her, when I saw it for PTA the second have time. have a rough history. The... I love Fiona. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um, great, yeah. I haven't listened to any of her music. I, I know I have you to. Should. I should. I know, I know. It's like one of those like Blair essentials that I like and have a Eugene. list of. Eugene loves Fiona. Yeah, Eugene Apple, too. So. Like I have like listen a list to, of essentials. Listen to Win the Pawn and uh, uh, bring the... Fetch the bull cutters. Yeah. Okay. That that was like my favorite album in 2020. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. That album's incredible. Yeah. So great. Yeah. It's easily top five PTA for me. I think I like it. Yeah. I think it's like my fourth favorite. I I think I like the master like a little more, but I don't know. I don't know. It really PTA directs so many great movies. It's It's impossible. It's so hard to rank pta i know yeah i've I've talked about doing a pt episode with like tommy and stuff and i'm like how the hell am i gonna rank because like punch drunk love get mitchy on there too you know he'll he'll talk about robert altman robert altman fuck (laughs) pta for a while i'll do robert altman too but yeah yeah yeah, i love pta obviously so um great i'm gonna watch it soon i I john c Riley underrated in the film that's that's like my favorite performance he's ever yeah actually he might be the best in the film or like the most fun to watch in the film like his whole like thing with the kid and the kid like raps 
Hey, the, no, yeah. watch your language now. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, straight. Yeah, yeah. you come here. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's so good. He's like the heart and soul of that movie. If you think about it, yeah, he really is. Yeah, ah, great movie. Probably the most heartfelt arc of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, your next yeah. man. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, um, so I mentioned before we start recording that this movie technically isn't in one day, but it's under two mm-hmm. days, and you said I could do it. So if anyone's got a problem with that, cope. Okay, all right, right? like yeah. fucking, it's fine. It's grow fine. up. No, of course, of course. Um, I'm recommending another 2015 movie, Son of Saul, uh, directed by Laszlo Nimage, and it's a Holocaust film. So we're going right back into the positive stuff. Um, it is. A film about a man named Saul, and he is a Sondor commando. And what a Sondor commando is, is that they were a real division of these certain Jewish people who, when they were brought into the camp, or I don't, I don't know if it was when they were brought in the camp or like later on, I don't remember, but they were selected to be workers in the camp. And they were not allowed to be killed Um randomly by the nazis instead they were given a timer so like they would be labeled sonder commandos and then from then on i don't know if it was like two or three months or maybe like a little shorter but that was the amount of time they had left and then they'd be routinely executed like everyone else but their job of course working in these camps would be to keep the death machine running and saul is one of these people he you know, he leads the new arrivals into the gas chambers and he also shovels their ashes into the water. He cleans up the bodies. He cleans the chambers of the blood. It's yeah, it's a very um tough position to be in. I mean, imagine like you're one of those people who literally has to lead your own people to your to their deaths. It's definitely th- something that would pretty much grind a human's emotional much emotional side to dust and that's what i really love this character is very much in his own world or in his own head like he the film is shot in this very narrow very boxed in that like it's it's literally like a box everything we see that's in focus is only is either only him or everything in, or something that he's focusing on directly and i love that choice because Every like atrocity that you come to expect from a Holocaust movie, you barely see much of it. It's not like Zone of Interest where you don't see any of it and you only hear it. It's in fact, I actually kind of put these two films in a similar court. Um, but um, no, in Son of Saul, sometimes you see a glimpse of it, but it's only ever like you only ever hear it or it's like really blurred because this character that we're focusing on it literally is um, his own perspective. All we see is whatever he focuses on. He's clearly someone who's learned to block all that shit out. And um, when they were first making this movie, uh, the director and the cinematographer, I can't remember the cinematographer's name, but the director, Lajlo Nimage, and the cinematographer, they had this dogma that they created. And it was, and it basically went like this. So they made a pledge to basically stick to these mantras the film cannot look beautiful. It cannot look appealing. We cannot make a horror film. Um, staying with Saul means not going beyond his own field of vision, hearing, or presence. The camera is his companion. It stays with him throughout this hell. It is a perfect example of being, of having a strip, somewhat stripped back style 
but being completely purposeful. You're not going to see a single wide shot. There are tons of long takes, tons of oneers that took so much coordination that you likely will that you don't see. Like that's what I really love. There's so much effort that goes into the stuff happening off camera that it makes the world feel so much real. I I, I don't remember who it was, but someone mentioned. Oh, it was sorry, it was Brendan. You mentioned that these movies need to do a good job at setting you in these worlds. This movie does that because it puts you right in this character's perspective and all you and and it basically like makes you believe that we're really like in this camp with him. And um I I know I kind of trailed off, but I want to go back to what the story is about a little bit. Now, about 10 minutes into the movie, um Saul finds a little boy and the boy is dead. and he decides to take this boy as his son. Now, there's a little dispute on whether it's actually his son. I have my own personal beliefs. I don't really want to talk about that here, but he decides that he is going to dedicate whatever life he has left to keeping this boy out of the hands of the Nazis and giving him a proper burial, like a proper Jewish burial. And that's pretty much all the movie's about and at the same time the Sonderkommandos are staging a, a riot in the camp which actually really happened. This is a real thing that happened at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Um the Sonderkommandos they rioted. And there's a lot of moments in this film that are kind of taken from real life and I wish I could like send you guys these pictures because later in the film we see a moment where this character's like taking pictures like with a smuggled camera and it's clearly trying to emulate these very real photos that people that some that someone was able to get while inside the camp at Auschwitz that are literally the only pictures known to ha- to exist of what was going on inside the walls and it's crazy how this movie manages to tie itself to reality like that and feel just so real there's just it, like you know when we see a holocaust movie a lot of it is trying to be like you know for example schindler's list or even like the even like a somewhat kind of the pianist to an extent it is about the scope of the of the tragedy is about how it affected this whole this whole mass group of people instead son of saul focuses on one person this one person's experience of being one of the people in that group that was you know actively actively hunted sorry i'm sorry my throat <clears throat> but um yeah there's like no music uh it, you 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 get excellent sound design fantastic acting despite not there being a ton of emotion it's quite literally just these very stone-faced people but again it makes sense in this environment because i mean with what you got to see every day and yeah it 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 very heavily reminiscent of come and see but um it, it it's different it's definitely different um i don't really know how else to explain my love for this movie without like just going on and on but again i don't want to do that we still have quite a few movies to get through but um This to me is my favorite movie of 2015. It was it was so effective. I've seen it like four or five times now and each time I watch it, I'm just the second it starts, I'm in and I never leave the entire runtime. It's a bit of a longer one. It's like an hour and 50, hour and 40. Well, that's not long, but you know, compared to like the hour and a half movies that a few of us have talked about at this point, it's like compared um but yeah, it's insane how this movie is able to just immediately capture you and again, make you relate to this person cuz you know you think about it and you think about what you would do in this scenario 
And most of what he does, you would kind of do if you were trying to complete this objective, because I think something that a lot of these movies get wrong is they try to capture someone who's trying to be kind to the people he's stuck there with. I don't think that's realistic. I think that if we were all stuck in this situation, we would be selfish as hell. I love movies that properly capture someone being completely selfish and doing everything for their own good, for their own needs, and not caring about anybody else. Because that, to me, that's more realistic. And there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that in this kind of scenario. So I love that this movie properly like captures this one character just trying to do this one thing, and he doesn't really care like what happens to every because in his eyes, they're already dead. Like they're long, they're dead. Nothing matters. I may as well get this one thing done and make 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 it feel like i've done something of worth you know at least that's what i feel like the character's thinking so yeah um apparently like two last known sonder commando people like they they saw the film and they praised it um entire it's entirely shot on this like it, it, it the narrow field of vision is like 45 millimeter like a portrait like narrow field of vision i'm kind of going off of imdb trivia trivia at this point but yeah Really love it. Would highly recommend if you haven't seen it already. I, I've i talked about this film to death with both um, my friends and also here. So you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. But it really is just one of those movies. You know, you just got to see it. And I love it. I lo- it, it, it. It enforces my own, my own criticisms with other movies like it. It's a movie that tells me that I, I am valid. In, in thinking this way, because this to me is how you do this kind of film. And when other films fuck that up, I feel more reinforced because I know what it looks like when to me it's done right. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's my number two. Yeah. I Son of Saul. <laughs> I don't know what, what else to add. Yeah. I, I agree with everything Cynic said. And um, it's funny because I mentioned funny games earlier and with funny games, it's about or with any Mikel Hanukkah film, uh, they feel so disturbing because it's about what you don't see uh, off to the side, like what's not being presented on screen. Um, And the fact that you yourself can just imagine or left to imagine what's happening um, off to the side of the, um, of, of what we're not seeing that honestly makes it more effective than just, showing it and like Cynic said Cynic said making a spectacle of it. And um yeah, that's all I have to add. I still gotta see it. I'm ashamedly having Damn. All of, nah, don't all don't of, be ashamed, bro. I get it. It's one of those that kind of flew under the radar. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm choosing the worst times to talk. Um <laughs> the the two things that I that I can really say that I love about Son of Saul is um, the way it's shot. Like Cynic already described it perfectly. Is it's like I remember like a lot of like you know just tracking shots and like shots of like of behind of being like behind or of uh, of Saul and like where he's moving. And it's just it's a really interesting lens of how to view such such a environment in this like in this tragedy. And there's just a lot of sequences that are very ingrained in my head of being like really disturbing and really like um yeah immerse Im- immersive to 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 this environment, like I said. It's it's really a one of a kind kind of movie. Yeah, there's a lot of walking in it too, you know. 
There is a lot of walking. There is a lot of walking. <laughs> Stole my thought. I'm sorry. I'm, I saw the. I saw the opening. I had to. It was it's great. Okay. Some might say it's like Pure a video movie. game. It's so, like a, <laughs> oh, that's coming later. That's coming after. It's like Bioshock, right? This one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Bioshock. It's like Death Stranding. <laughs> the, the, the first strand type movie you said that's your favorite movie of 2015 am i to believe the revenant after all we've been through it's not number one <laughs> i honestly might not be yeah no i think this, are you saying this the force awakens it. is worse than this movie <laughs> i, know I, I mean hey cynic. first of all it pains me to admit but yes the force awakens is not as good as son of soul <laughs> hey uh, uh yeah, yeah, never mind. It's, I don't want to go down J.J. Abrams rabbit hole either. It's somehow like such an exhilarating movie without being sensational. And that's something that I also think is really powerful because I, there's so many like Holocaust or just tragedy movies just try and sensationalize it. And I'm just like, I, no, no, you can be exhilarating without being sensational. You can be exhilarating and be engaging like this movie is without trying to mm. just put make sure it's easy to understand what the character's doing and why they're doing it. And it's pretty much impossible to lose my attention from there. Like I, all I care about is if the character is relatable and this character very much is relatable. That kind of the way you describe it makes me think of like a Christian Munja movie where it's kind of, it's, it's so subdued I mean, in its presentation and it's not beating you over the head with any sort of tone. It's trying to convey. It's just presented to you. I mean, yeah, those honestly, are, those are my favorite. It, it's pretty similar in a way. Yeah. Definitely no, less. I'm, um, I'm just speaking. Yeah, like, yeah, a lot of less wide there. shots, uh, but sure, like with yeah. the long takes, like with the long takes and the coordination, like there's a lot mm. going on in Son of Saul. And again, like part of what it makes me love it is that it's not trying to show off. It just that's just what enforces the world being so much more real and larger than what we will ever see, you know? Right. I'll get yeah. on it. I'll do it. Ever since I even when that movie was nominated for like best foreign language film, I was like, oh, I really want to see that. And eight years later, here I am just still. So shit. Yeah, I'll watch it. All right. Good pick, man. Blair. All right. So uh, my number two is made by my favorite cinema goblin. It's uh climax oh. by Gaspar <laughs> I Noé. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite um, film ever i feel like I we've talked the precisely no i feel like we've <laughs> talked about gaspar noe a lot on this uh podcast so i'll keep it brief everybody knows this fame this movie is famous for having like a one shot like like a presentation of its like a like a one shot uh take um and i it's, it's amazing how this film I think it's just kind of like made on a whim. Like Gaspar Noé was like, "Oh, I want to make my next movie about like dancing and shit," and then it turns out to be like this LSD nightmare. Um, and like this movie has like virtually no script. Um, like like I said, it just kind of came together, and it turned out to be one of the best films of uh, definitely of 2019 and even of like the 2010s. Um, everybody everybody gives such an incredible performance, like such a huge cast of like almost all like um non-big actors and actresses and everybody's character just completely shines and um yeah i just like i love the the fact that this film is just like based on like a such a such a simple idea but 
the kind of exploration of this like nightmare scenario can just be so expanded upon and Gaspar Noe really does do that it, it it's a perfect kind of overview of like this complete hell scenario and um yeah obviously it's shot with like his trademark like neon lightings and um it's just it's such a beautiful movie to look at like it's um probably one of the best looking films i've i've ever seen personally and the soundtrack is fucking incredible um yeah i love the the mid-credit sequence it's yeah. <laughs> just top classic tier, top gas tier bar film. classic yeah. great yeah, movie I, so that, yeah. I love classics. i I won't say much about the film because, yeah, it has been talked about a ton, but I will share an experience. Um, recently, I I got to go see it at the Frida, which is a theater that me and Jake have frequented quite a few times. Or maybe not recently, but definitely a little less than a year ago. But um, I loved that clearly a lot of people in my audience had not seen it because I'm not going to spoil it, but the moment when the lights go out, I heard so many gasps and like, <gasps> like so many moments like that, because you know how that's set up and you know, the stakes that are set up from that. And then when it happens, you're like, Oh my fucking God. And and like, I heard so many people in my audience react like that. And plus even better. And I hope this doesn't make me sound like a psychopath. I'm really sorry. But when the movie ended, I had the biggest fucking smile on my face because I had, I knew I just rewatched a movie and I raised my rating from like a nine to a 10. It became instantly one of my favorite movies of all time. And I heard crying in the theater. <laughs> I heard people <laughs> sniffling. I heard people like whimpering and I walked out with the biggest <laughs> fucking smile on my, I had a pep in my step. I went home and I slept like a fucking baby. I was so happy knowing that some people just experienced this kind of movie. Everyone's you know, weeping could, and you're just like cynic. obviously i don't smile at people's trauma but like just knowing that some people in their head experience something they haven't experienced before it makes Mm. me happy knowing that they what if they enjoyed it at least it makes me happy knowing that some people have have found something new experienced something new um i also saw irreversible at the same theater like a few months before which was a little less uh did not put a smile on my face but climax definitely did and um it's pretty fascinating that that movie also is like the only gas the first gaspar noe movie that didn't involve the cast and crew and gaspar noe himself like constantly doing drugs apparently like he it was a completely sober set. Like everything that was that's, done, that's everyone kinda was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's straight the most I, like, drug-fueled I, movie ever. It, like, yeah, it literally sober. is like the one where no one did any drugs at all. And this is like, yeah, like one of the most hormonal movies I've ever seen. It's yeah, so it's a, yeah. fucking out there and like Yeah. It's cinema. my favorite Gaspar. It's it's absolutely my favorite Gaspar Noe film. It overtook Irreversible me for too. me. I my favorite still Irreversible, but Climax is, but is I feel that. Irreversible yeah, is probably a better movie in terms of its impact, but I think Climax, I could just throw on. It's a more effective movie, at least. Especially yeah. with it being like one of his first movies. Like, it's definitely more mm. impactful, but Climax captures something in me that I'm just like, the second I start it, I'm like, yeah, I'm watching a masterpiece, yeah. you know? And I think I, I watched one of your 
episodes um the 2010s episode and you guys talked about the opening in the snow being such like a striking image mm-hmm. a, a great a great start because it immediately hooks you in and i completely agree like it has that immediate and gaspar is really good at doing that he's really good at starting his movies um the only one mm-hmm. the only one that like doesn't start as strong is probably like vortex but that movie's still great so i don't I, i'm not calling that an issue but like yeah he's really good at getting you immediately intrigued and so climax is no different love has a climax right at the beginning so <laughs> yeah. Very i love i love the idea of knowing that i quite literally got money shotted by that actor you know yeah. like <laughs> i, I pity anyone who saw chance. that movie in the theater <laughs> and they're like they're like wow you just came on my face dude nice <laughs> i like that movie i don't care I know it's. it's I, I'll rewatch I, it. I understand why people like it. I I personally don't, but I understand. Like I, it is one of those that just kind of you, you like it or you don't. Yeah, of course, of course. Doesn't change my opinion on Gaspar. He's still yeah a goofy goober, a goblin, a gremlin. I think it I was love on Blair's list, right? That was on your top five when we did. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is all like deja vu right now, so it's like. <laughs> no, no, that's why I was like, I'll keep, I'll keep it short. I'll try oh, and no, say fine. shit I it's haven't fine. said yeah it's all good i i love talking about that movie but... yeah i don't have anything to say anything else to say about it it's <laughs> gonna say yeah right <laughs> i have nothing to say actually now <laughs> <laughs> the biggest lie i've ever told biggest i've always had something to say said. uh Perry, yeah you're ahead. probably wondering <laughs> i was just gonna say before i get my number two climax has a special place in my heart because uh, that was the night the Atlanta Trio was like born. That was the first film we ever reviewed together. That, that's what that's they true. said on the pod. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, you yeah. Guys met at the theater, right? Um, well, the theater I worked You're at. Working, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then late months later, we we finally like decided to start hanging out, and they they brought me on to review the film with them because they they just knew carlos knew well carlos and blair knew how knowledgeable i was about film and they're like <laughs> we, we have to include them yeah but it's funny him. i can't watch like my the those old reviews because i'm like i just sounded like such an idiot back then i mean oh, i'm yeah. still an idiot now but nah um, <laughs> no, no. no you're crazy I can't do but, any old podcasts, right? I, I'm so, I cringe so hard at them. You just okay. feel like there's a lot more nuance now. Yeah. Like now that you've grown as a person and as a critic, there's just so much more nuance yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I, I um, do agree with you. I, I can't tolerate my old reviews that I have on Letterboxd. Yeah, Some of them I'm oh, just man. like, God, I, this fucking kid. I know. I'm I, like, God, I was yeah. such an idiot. I've actually deleted some old Letterboxd reviews. Same here. That, I've that deleted was, like probably half. <laughs> yeah. Some were so bad. I'm like, what are you? Just not talking about what was, the movie I, what was I thinking? What was I thinking yeah. here? Just I think I even that. kept one of them, but like I added a caveat of like, I hate this fucking review. If you read it and take it seriously, don't worry. I hate it too. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I think it was actually my love review, actually. I think it was the, the review I did for love uh 2015. I think that was it. That's right. Huh, but, um... come, uh... <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that was the I think that was a joke I made. That, that I'm serious. Like the, yeah, the most like childish should. fucking you yeah. showed it to me and Chandler, I believe. Was, was <laughs> oh my <bad>. god. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. I would probably be like, hey guys, this is what I sounded like. <laughs> what a fucking idiot, am I right? Chandler's like, um, you suck. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably <laughs> say something writer. like that. <laughs> that was a good Chandler impression. Oh, I love doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. 
<laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go, Perry, go ahead. <laughs> um, my number two is uh, from my uh, favorite female director of all time. Uh, I wasn't huge on this film the first time I watched it, but I gave it a critical reappraisal, and it's now one of my favorite films. And that's uh, from Cleo to five. Uh, um, Cleo from five to seven um, by Agnes Varda. Nice. Um, so I think what's so interesting about this film is how it's a, a meditation on. Uh, a death and it's actually somebody coming to terms with their own mortality. And it's actually an interesting character piece because it's a, like a naive pop star who's happened to come to terms with something as serious uh, with death, you know, uh, you know, through the, the whole idea that she may have cancer and uh, not to mention, I, I, I just think Agnes Varda, um, uh, does such an incredible job of like putting us in the female perspective and how Cleo is perceived by other males. Um, and I, my favorite line in the movie is um, everybody spoils me, but nobody loves me. Um, and if I misquote that, I apologize, but essentially that's the line of the movie. And basically like, it's interesting to think that she could die young and all the people that are in her life are just really fake that she doesn't really have any genuine connection uh, to like anybody in her life, um, which I, I think is really uh, uh, fascinating because obviously like, and this is kind of a, a depressing thought, but um, um, with all all the people we encounter in our life, all the friends we make, we're just collecting people to go to our funeral. If you stop and think about it. And mm -hmm. it's interesting how that film uh, captures that. And um, not to mention it has a Jean-Luc Godard cameo. Yeah. yeah. And what, he's actually really good in the film. Um, yeah, I just uh, and it's crazy to like think that this is just two hours of um, of a woman's life that like so much is said just by looking at this character. I mean, at this person uh, specifically just for two hours out of their life. I, I, I just think it's a really amazing film. It's I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. And I honestly go back and forth between which Varda film I prefer. It's either this or Vagabond, which I also mm. think is a masterpiece. I think gun to my head, I may pick Vagabond, but Cleo from five to seven shout out Eugenio. Cause I know this is his favorite film of all time. And he was really uh, pushing me to give it a critical reappraisal. And thankfully I did because it's, it's perfect. Yes, it is. That was actually when I made my sight and sound that was on my list for my personal site, best 10 films of all time. Nice. I think that's just the God that everything you said. I mean, just like, putting yourself in the feminine sort of world of just feeling depreciated and kind of just passed around in this contemporary sixties world. And, and Agnes Varda is just so, oh God, she finds a way to tell these really emotionally devastating character portraits and ha but have so much humanity injected into all of her movies. Um, 
and just the way she shoots stuff is so like influential she's like the she's the like uh she jump-started like other female directors i'm sure like chantal ackerman and all these amazing women like look up to her so deeply so yeah i i agree that movie's brilliant I love that movie. It's it's great. I watched it like pretty early in like uh, 2019. No, I think even 2018. I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. I, I told Perry to watch it. And as he referred back, he didn't really like it at first, which was disheartening. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad he's come around to it and with the critical reappraisal. So good. Yeah. Great pick. I mean, that's like uh, arguably defines the all-in-one-day movie because time is such a factor in the construction of the emotional sort of arc of her character. Yeah. This kind of emotional sense of urgency that she has throughout the film. So, like, in terms of the topic, that's such a great pick for that also. Uh, Cool. Brendan, you want to go? Oh, yeah. Um, My second pick will be Night of the Living Dead, which we mentioned earlier when Perry uh, brought up Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, One more can be said about it, of course, but um, I watched this actually as a child. Um, I was maybe in third or fourth grade and I had a sleepover with some friends. And I don't know, it was like laying in the DVD bin, we put it on and um, it really terrified me at a young age. And I think it's really due to the aesthetic of it all um and the world building um kind of behind the scenes but not only the black and white you know cinematography and how tight the camera is kind of inside that house and just how gnarly it is when those zombies are really attacking and eating outside it's it's just something that was definitely uncommon in the 60s horror space you know Um, maybe roger corman you know maybe Mm -hmm. uh had something as strange as this but um this movie just so influential to me as a horror fan and also um to several other filmmakers and it definitely spawned that uh zombie genre you know and even might have spawned that all in one day kind of paranoia um kind of we have to escape this situation there's really no plot escape except to escape this scenario um but I think I think what I really do love about it is especially that world building, the radios and the TV. You kind of are figuring out, like, is this a government conspiracy? Because they talk about the planes flying over and, you know, I, f- I forget what they were exactly uh, doing or clearing the air. Um, I really enjoy the character work, too, which is another trait of these one day films. Uh, you know, you have the strong protagonist, Ben. Um, he really won't take shit from anyone. He's, you know, he's really active in the scenario. Then there's also um, Harry Cooper, who's kind of the opposite of him. He's kind of the one like, hey, let's let's stay inside the house. I don't want to go outside. My family's at risk. Uh, let's hunker down. Let's not do anything about it. Um, and I think that plays with our own emotions if we're within this kind of scenario. It's like, you could either be like Harry, be, hey, no, we're we're boarding up a place. We're staying here no matter what. I Don't take the chance of going outside. 
but you could also be the Ben in this situation and mm. kind of be the one that's like willed to, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go get the key from the, for the gas pump or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fight my way out. I, I have to get out of here. Um, and I, I think, I think that's, what's really interesting. And also Barbara, I mean, she lost her brother at the beginning of the movie and she's kind of in this state of shock and anxiety and she's just frozen. She's almost like zombie, like, you know, in some way, mm. um, but more internally. And I think that's, what's interesting. It's like, you could have three, you have three archetypes that basically are the three people that you might be in this situation and they're all at play. Um, phenomenally in the movie. George Romero, love him as a director. Um, and yeah, I think I, I think there's so many intense, great scenes in it. The gas refuel with that explosion. Um, of course, that shocking ending that um, definitely relates to the themes of the time. Um, really, really disturbing and cold, even for for the 60s. I mean, wow. Um, and that that scene with that little girl in the basement still haunts me. Oh, yeah. You know, any time that she starts to get up, and, and I think she has that, uh, is it like a big scissor or something? I I don't remember off the or is it just a knife? Um, but she starts. What was it there? It's a trout, a gardening trout. Oh, it's a gardening trout. Okay, um, and she gets up with that and starts approaching. Uh, the wife who's like knocked out on that table. So disturbing and so cold. The, the camera's kind of tilted a little bit, kind of off kilter. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's ingrained in my memory. And not only because I saw it as a child, but because of how much it holds up as an adult. Um, I think that's another one of those, like it inspires you to want to write something or, you know, do something. They did it on a shoestring budget and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone else has something to say about uh, Night of the Living Dead, but if you want, mm. I'll open it up. I I'm honestly glad to hear you bring up Night of the Living Dead um, because when I hear I, I, a lot of people in the horror community just kind of dismiss it as like just really slow and boring, saying it's overrated. And it's like, I never really met anybody who truly appreciated Night of the Living Dead until I met Blair. And I'm like, finally, right. somebody. <laughs> no, yeah, I uh, I remember I didn't watch it growing up. I just kind of threw it on one day, I think. like It was like in October of like, whatever, of recent years. And I was surprised how great it holds up um it's a pretty inspiring movie like you said just from the fact that it um i don't want to like i don't know if like uh, it was the first horror movie to like star um a, a, like a black person in a role who's not just there because he's black but just because he was the best uh actor for the performance and he obviously knocks it out of the park and the ending mm -hmm. is so fucking it's such a I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but it's it's a gut punch kind of ending that you don't really see coming. At least I didn't see it coming. And honestly, even just the horror aspects are are really, really great. I mean, they don't like scare me or like disturb me, but they are really effective. I think just the imagery 
and um the lighting uh, like i think the lighting is very important in that movie for for the black and uh white look to it it's uh yeah i i think it definitely deserves a a place in not only horror history but movie history i think it's a legitimately fantastic movie agreed love it to death um it definitely like it's crazy how it was pretty much that movie and then boom look at where we are with zombie movies it's absolutely fucking insane just how many people know of the zombie genre and it pretty much is just kind of all traceable back to this one movie and um you know i i I don't really have anything to say that isn't just a retread of what other people have said but i will say um one of the real onset stories is that you know, obviously, George A. Romero claims he wasn't very uh, knowing of what he was doing with the whole racial commentary. But, I mean, the actor, uh, Ben, what was it? Ben Dwayne? Is that his name? I, I genuinely forget. Dwayne but, Jones, um, I think. Dwayne Jones. Oh, Ben is his name in the movie. I'm ben sorry. Dwayne. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, apparently like going home or going uh, go- going home from offset. Apparently one time, like there were kids or people in a pickup truck that tailed him brandishing a tire iron at him Mm -hmm. like i can't imagine obviously maybe Dwayne just kept that to himself and didn't tell george but like i imagine if you hear that kind of story you immediately clue into what you're doing especially because like at the time at the height of the civil rights movement it's pretty insane that this movie really did just like happen to get made at that time i can't I mean, imagine if it was made in in the South, it would have probably been rejected because, you know, obviously they wouldn't have wanted a a an African-American lead and like um, at the front of the movie. You know, it, it it's just it it's a we it's a very interesting piece of film history that I'm so glad exists and has much more of an effect on cinema as a whole than it does on horror cinema alone. You know, Agreed. obviously very much on both sides i do personally prefer dawn of the dead i know it's not really a new take i know that's kind of like what most people think but still love it love night of the living dead very much great movie and yeah, you, oh sorry go ahead. oh no perry no perry you go first and you have to think that the film came out in 68 this was only one year removed from in the heat of the night which in itself was controversial because uh like we said you know like whenever there was black actors in a movie, they were always like just subservient to white people, you know, or they're just, um, if, if they were in a movie, they were, they, if they were in a zombie movie, they were one of the zombies and it was always, you know, tied to like voodoo or, you know, religion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and also like, didn't guess who's coming to dinner come out like right after this or pretty soon after. Like yeah, uh, around the yeah. same time. Yeah, Sydney Poitier again. Really good movie. Enjoy that movie. Mm-hmm. Another oh, one day movie. I think that oh, yeah. Romero is he was self aware in some respects because if you look at the other movies in the trilogy, they all have really self reflexive of very like socio political themes. You know, Donald yeah, consumerism and Day of the Dead with kind of like this fascist government kind of kind of uh, deterioration of yeah. humans. Yeah. Yeah, I just um, love that trilogy so much. The Day of the Dead, yeah. oddly, is like my favorite one. Um, which is, I used to be very nice. uncharitable to people who preferred Day of the Dead. Nowadays, I understand. I, I very much understand, and I respect it. They're all honestly, they're all ten out of ten masterpieces for me. All three of them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I'll, only I'll... seen Night. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go. It's okay. 
Uh, I, I was just going to say real quick, I've seen that movie on the big screen with Brendan nice. actually at a yeah. film festival that really like solidified <laughs> this movie as like one of my favorite horror movies. And yeah, I'm just That's cool. love it to death now. Nice. Sorry, Blair, what were you saying? No, I was, sorry. I was going to say is that I've only seen Night, and but I'm really dying to see uh, Romero's Dawn. I, I don't know the name of the third one. I'm sorry. Day of the Dead. Yeah, Day of the Dead. Yeah, there's okay, yeah. Night, Dawn, Day. Jake. There's, and then there's Survival of the Day. <laughs> there's a whole oh. other trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Jake, but, mm-hmm. You're actually based because Day of the Dead is my favorite of the trilogy as well. <laughs> Hell yeah, you Rigby too, right? I know you, yeah. there's a few other defenders. Yeah. I think also yeah. Ant Man as well. Ant Man yeah. too, yeah. Oh, it's the best. Just the the practical effects and everything. It just culminates to such a great movie. Done um, by um, done by Tom Savini, Tom Savini, and I would argue yeah. that Day of the Dead is Tom Savini's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I would actually, yeah, 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 I would go that far. Offense. I would say that's it. God, yeah, the head and the body and how it's like they're disconnected. Like I don't know how the fuck he did that. Like I think crazy. one of my favorite effects is right in the beginning with like the jaw gone and the tongue just hanging. Like that's like holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. I can't recommend Romero. Brendan's kind of the one that got me into him more actually just sh- tell me about those movies, so so It's like one of those know. trilogies that like even though it has a great effect on cinema or sorry, horror movies, it has a great effect on cinema as a whole, and it should be watched by every cinephile. I feel like that would be in October. If I had a film class that te- that taught year round, that would be like the focus of half of no uh, half of October. Just the Dawn of the Dead, the Dead trilogy. Yeah, all yeah. three of these movies are on my uh, one thousand and one films you have to see before you die list. Absolutely, definitely deserving yeah, to be on that too, list. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad we all like, like Romero here. It seems like that's even when he doesn't make a good movie, you can still tell that he's like really putting his all into it. Like, I don't think the crazies is a very good movie, but I think yeah. that he that's a movie that he really did care about. And I, I really respect it. it no I wasn't crazy. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like really fucking stupid and a lot of dumb characters, a lot of really like nonsensical plot elements that don't make sense and it's a it's a bad movie but it's a movie that i can at least look at romero and say you know what man you swung for the fence i get i respect that and i respect it i respect it yeah i love him all right i'll do my number two to before we do our final picks here um i think i also brought this up on a former episode so i'm not gonna go too crazy but um my one of my favorite movies of the 70s episode was Mikey and Nikki Marlene yes. May nice. um starring two of my favorite actors to ever act uh Peter Falk and John Cassavetes um I'm probably repeating myself so apologies but this is one of the greatest portrayals of friendship ever put to screen um I, I'm sure we all relate to the f- kind of fading friendships in our lives and have someone who's kind of a loose cannon and it's, sort of just you grow kind of like an underlying hatred about all their attributes and that's kind of Cassavetes um to Peter Falk's character and they to frame that in like sort of this gangster story that where he's kind of wanted for some he's he's basically has a hit down on him and it's just there's such a sense of urgency as we're talking about these all-in-one night all-in-one day movies and 
it's kind of this underbelly portrait of New York as these two guys kind of navigate their friendship and Peter Falk like desperately tries to keep him alive and then no spoilers, but just their dynamic just shifts in such a dramatic way. Um, I think this, the fact this movie is made by Elaine May, like there's such a, I always like when women, like there's a movie called like Old Joy by Kelly Reichardt. I maybe have talked about it one or two times. Um, he, I think women's perspective on male friendships is really profound because they look at it from a very objective point of view and just kind of notice things that men wouldn't normally notice when they're crafting their own stories because they have too much pride, in my opinion. And these movies have a very honest look at male friendships. Um, I just thought like Mikey, Nikki, and Old Joy would be a great double feature for like the dude friendship double feature. Um, but yeah, I love this movie to death. It's some of the best acting ever put on screen if you ask me and just the way they develop together and there's so many scenes like in the graveyard um that just break my heart um it's really emotionally vulnerable stuff and yeah i think slightly underappreciated like i i do i do think it's one of the most important movies of the 70s because it kind of caps off john cassavetes and what he was doing in the 70s because i feel like this movie is in conjunction with like stuff like woman under the influence and opening night just these very raw portraits of humanity and yeah i just i love it to death and I, i'm curious to see what you guys uh have to add to that pretty much grit in its finest form to me yeah. at least that is gritty okay. Oh God, not the gritty, di gritty descriptor. <laughs> I feel like it's such an overused descriptor for films. It is, it is. And, yeah, no, it is. And, and, and I try not to use it at, very often, but this is one of those movies that I would definitely assign the term gritty. Like it is very much cut your teeth, like really like down in the dirt in the trenches like take your camera outside and just fucking film in a bar kind of movie and it, it really i watched i rewatched half of it today because i wanted to i knew you were going to bring it so i wanted to be prepared because oh, cool. i haven't seen it in so long but i i still really love it it like it, it's yeah it it does have this profound atmosphere i love movies that take place in new york in one day movies like after hours um to good time love those movies and this one is just another one i don't wait is this i don't know if this is actually new york this probably isn't new york but it is new york it is it's okay sorry i had a me, weird me, thought that it might have been like philadelphia or something me, yeah keep going I, I could fact check it real quick i'm pretty positive though it's uh, yeah it just man i i don't i don't really know what else to say um I mean, Cassavetes delivers probably my favorite performance from him as this really manic, paranoid person, um, chain smoking, beer drinking, like just like constantly a dick to everybody. Like he's such a bastard and you kind of hate him, but you also kind of don't want him to die because he's kind of hard not he's kind of hard not to like get attached to in a way, maybe not like him, but definitely like get attached um and also what was it? ned Beatty as the yeah the guy yeah. the guy who's like following them. Yeah. yeah i fucking love his character too his performance and I, is so crazy because he's like yeah so, he's so like deeply annoyed by everything and he's kind of like jaded everything to him um, is like an inconvenience it's yeah. really funny <laughs> it's so and funny. also yo the guy who played grotty in the office played the what was it the bus driver in this movie or am i thinking of oh, someone yeah. else yeah yeah the guy, like one the, of his the first roles. With clams guy, yeah. Exactly. I send it back. 
I like, send it this, back. He's also <laughs> the guy who like told the good fellows the job or yeah. something. Like he's like, I work at the airport. There's this yeah. one score. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Just... A lot of memorable characters too. Like there's that bus driver. The, there's also the the I don't, I don't remember if she was a prostitute or something, but there was like this woman that she visited. They visited. Even like Peter Falk's wife is very memorable in the film. Oh, yeah. Like. Yeah, very distinct character work in the film that I, I will definitely um finish it soon. I, I now that I've watched half of it, I'm gonna I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put it on my short list and when I get back to it, I'm gonna just start it over and just do a full on watch. Um because nice. yeah, it was yeah, it used to be like a ten out of ten for me. I think now it's more like a strong nine, but it's still great. I, I it can't it you don't get more um intense than Something like gritty. this sometimes. Gritty. gritty. Yeah. The gritty. This movie do be hitting the grit. Kill me. I don't I'm not gonna finish Rudolph Haas hit the gritty. Rudolph Haas That's hit my the favorite gritty. part of Zone of Interest. <laughs> <laughs> me and Jake I, were like imitating did, that after seeing did it the together. Fortnite dance. I can't believe it. Thank I God. said oh griddle at first because I thought that's what it was. I, I I that was like one of my favorite moments. I wasn't even like not even like making fun of you. I just think it's so wholesome, like the griddle. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Rudolph yeah. ha- Rudolf Haas, the guy he from hit the Fortnite. Griddle. Yeah, the guy from Fortnite. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. <laughs> A zone of interest skin. <laughs> I, I don't know about I, this A twenty four. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think this film, the film that this is most um, influenced by, is, um, and I'm not huge on this film myself, which I know is probably a hot take, but Mean Streets by Martin Scorsese. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that movie's just decent, pretty good. The dynamic is very similar, though, to Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. Yeah. If, if you want Mean Streets but better, I recommend I Vitalone by Federico Fellini. I recommend um, As Tears Go By by Wong Kar Wai. And I recommend Mikey and Nikki. Those are the three films that it's like, if go. Mean Streets didn't do it for you, watch those. What movies. was the one by, uh, what was the first one? The Italian one? I can't remember. The Fellini what? one. I've I haven't seen that yet. I want to. Okay. It's great. It's it's Mean Streets before there was Mean Streets. It's it was Mean Streets that. before they were mean. That makes <laughs> sense. I mean, he's, Scorsese was probably obsessed with Fellini before he started making movies. So hmm. that adds up. Is it directed by Fellini? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I just want I just want to make sure I have it added to my watch list. You know, I want to remember it's it. It's in the essential Fellini box set for those of you who do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want it. I have the box set. <laughs> I want that box set. Yeah, me too. That's a pretty insane box set. Like that was one of the crazier ones. It's I think... shaped like a fucking pizza box. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's a that's a little, that's a little motivated right there. <laughs> I like my Fellini with the uh, sausage and peppers on it. Personally. <laughs> my... Oh man. I, um, I, I also really like the Godzilla box set. Sorry. I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, you should be in the words of Chandler. <laughs> of course I should be. Um, On that Number note, one. Xander, oh, what's your number one uh, Billy Wood song before we? Do oh, uh, I am personally a fan of Neighborly Blocked okay. Call. <laughs> it's it's great, actually, great actually, actually, at this point, I think it might be FaceTime off of Maps. 
I love Samuel Herring um, on the feature. Like, I love, sorry. <laughs> hey, if we want to do a top, like, I would totally do a Billy I Woods think Neighborly actually so is my favorite Billy Neighborly's Woods songs up there right now. With, with, I, I'm, like, obsessed How with How many people who maybe, even, like, the people who do know what we're talking about, like, do they do they get it? Like, I don't, they don't they, give a shit. Only, this is only for Chandler. <laughs> this know? is literally only for Chandler. Yeah. Anyone else out there, like, Shout Billy out I actually, I actually, like, have muted myself a couple times and, like, put on music um, just to, like, you know, just keep myself grounded. And one at one point, Neighborly did come on. And I put on my Billy Woods playlist. Of course, um, of course, I'm not surprised. Fucking, but yeah, hey, I love the I love William Woodland. William Woodley, <laughs> Woodley, my favorite. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, are, are we doing our last one? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna pick one that is kind of an obvious one, and it kind of contradicts why I didn't put Taste of Cherry on this list, but my reasons are it's my list. Uh, <laughs> I'm picking Stalker by Andre Tarkovsky, Ooh, all in one day. Bethesda movie, right? Exactly. The <laughs> Fallout 3 movie, for real. Um, just like a Bethesda game, it's long, meandering, and doesn't have a lot going on. Uh, I'm kidding. I love Stalker. One of my top ten favorite movies... It's. I actually ended up watching this pretty early in high school. I, I not early, not early in high school. I meant early in my like film watching, like days. Um, when I was like getting all the big ones out of the way. Um, it was one of the first ones I watched. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, and um, I didn't love it. Of course, like most people who don't know what they're getting into with this movie. Um, but I did. I was captured and I, and I, and I thought about it a lot and I was thinking about a lot of the things the characters were talking about, like, especially regarding, um, motivation and, uh, and satisfaction and fulfillment and, um, all these like very human, selfish human desires that we all strive for. Um, and I, and eventually I gave it a rewatch, like a little, it was like less than a year later. I didn't, I didn't wait too long to get back to this one. And it, it and it clicked like that. I was immediately, I was like, I get it. I got this. This is awesome. And I watched it again. And then I watched it again. And then I literally rewatched it earlier today. It was like, I'm so glad I picked this one. I, it was literally like, it was like, I, if I was going to get to one of them, it was going to be stalker. And I'm so glad I picked it because this movie just immediately reinforces why i think slow cinema is the most essential cinema we need these movie like in a movie in a in a, in a in a time where action movies and quick cuts and all this like really fast really adhd edited kind of movies are the normal i am so happy that i can go back and watch a movie that literally is just a lot of scenes of people walking and people talking and that is Walk what this like movie I is. Walking like I talk it, you know, for real. It like I talk it. Like damn, she in a mood. And uh oh, damn, she in a mood. <laughs> yeah. And I absolutely I just love it. I love the atmosphere of this movie, first of all. It is it is a movie that is so ethereal. And and we talked about this earlier, Jacob. You said that you like forgot that this movie takes place in one day. You like it like makes you feel like it takes place over a lifetime. And I love that about it. It really does feel yeah. like years pass. Like even the characters look different. And now there, there's a there's an obvious explanation as to why they did that's very real world. But in the film, it does look like they age by like years by the end of the film. And I love this. Cho- I love that 
effect. It's like one of those things that just happened to happen. And, um, you know, this is also very clearly, you know, I know that mirror is kind of like the personal expression from Tarkovsky since that movie is quite literally about him. But I think stalker is like right there, right next to it as personal, because at the time he was very, very unfulfilled making movies for the Soviet Union. He was um, his his screen treatment for Dostoevsky's The Idiot was rejected. There was a whole nother movie he was working on that was shut down like he was completely infuriated working with the Russians or working with uh, the Soviet Union on on um in in their cinema in their um s- sorry in in their cinematic cosmodrome whatever I can call it fuck I lost my train of thought but you know I-, I love how this movie kind of is his own form of wish fulfillment because right after this movie came out he never returned he left the Soviet Union and never came back he made two other movies for unfortunately passing uh, in Italy and Sweden. He never went back because this movie, not only was it incredibly difficult to get this movie made, I think we all kind of know the story of just how fucking crazy this set was, but um, also just like, yeah, they they the, the, the Soviet government did not have faith in him, and he was very much aware and very in hatred of that because, you know, Obviously, at this point, he had made Solaris, he had made Mirror, these movies that were pretty successful by his standards. And another thing I really love about this movie is that unlike Solaris, which is kind of like a full submergement, uh, sub- submerging into the, into the sci-fi genre, this movie is kind of like dipping your toes in. But somehow it feels even more sci-fi than Solaris does in ways. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like... I guess it's also like kind of more fantasy angled because, you know, obviously nothing takes place on a spaceship. There's no like little weird alien creatures. It's literally just these guys walking through a zone and we don't really see much of how the zone works, but we really feel it. It's one of those films where minimalism is everything. You do get this vibe that where they are just isn't human. It isn't of Earth. It is a place that we don't understand is unsafe and i love how the real world or what we live in is all sepia tone it's sh- it's shown in this very like drained gross kind of like toilet bowl co- color whereas with the zone it's like green it's lush it's beautiful and um i love these great like sound design choices they make with like the way the ca- when they when characters walk around like you hear their boots or their or their shoes like tapping along and it and it feels weird it sounds wrong it sounds off but it kind of feels right in this place and also with like the howling of whatever's out there in the zone skulking around um like when they first enter i also uh want to add like the music i don't remember who did the music and if i did remember i guarantee you i can't pronounce their name so i'm not gonna try um but the music has is so memorable it's one of my favorite themes ever i think we can all I think we've seen this movie enough times where we can immediately picture it. Like, am I right about that? Like, we can picture the theme? Not really. I've only seen it one time, and it was a while ago, so it's not super fresh. I haven't seen it in many years. I mean, I I agree with everything you're saying. I just personally don't remember the music, but... You know what? It don't don't matter. It don't matter. Keep cooking. I'm. Don't worry. I'm still still grilling. Let me... I'm still grilling. But, um... Where's my ratatouille? Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Um, but again, I, this kind of fits into like 
this movie kind of fits into another movie where it's like the selfish need for satisfaction. And this movie kind of, and this movie really does, um, really does get that across. And it's also, and it also has this um, air of like fear. Like these characters are, you never feel like these characters are excited to have their wishes and dreams fulfilled. You feel like they're kind of, they, they get off this feeling that they're kind of terrified. Like there are scenes where they're like, fuck, what if I just get everything and then I kill myself because there's nothing left? Because that's literally what will happen. There's no such thing as complete satisfaction without madness. And I mentioned in the review I wrote on Letterboxd is that man will never be satisfied. And this movie is kind of about that, how man can drive to fulfill every kind of desire they want to fulfill. They will never succeed. It will never come to fruition because after that, what's left and this movie is kind of about these characters just simply contemplating that and sitting with that throughout this journey and i feel like that slow meandering just very intentionally slow style that this film is going for is indicative of that you need to sit with that you need to sit with the idea of what happens after everything is fulfilled and you know obviously we gen like obviously there are going to be naysayers who genuinely say no like i bet i won't go like completely crazy they're fucking lying they are fucking lying you will go mad you will go mad and you will likely kill yourself like it's it's the it is what this film is trying to tell you without telling you exactly that you just hear the story of this porcupine individual who um is mentioned a few times um and you know, it's told that he killed himself because uh, for reasons that are related to this zone, to the room. And um, I also just love how it culminates, you know, the set design, even though the, even though what they, they didn't really shoot on any sets. They just went to this really abandoned area of Estonia and they just kind of shot there. Um, but like, I love the way they use the environment, how, how kind of, um, how much of a character the zone is itself. I love that room with all the sand dunes that's right outside the room. That's such an insane set to me. Like one of my favorite sets of all time. I absolutely love it. Um, and like every trap inside the zone has its own like interpretation, like the grinder um, and and the uh, the the tunnel that changes and like the tunnel that changes directions or something like there's there's genuine like thematic purpose to each trap and and that we are heard and also I love how this film kind of has some very real world consequences in a way where um where apparently like with Chernobyl which by the way this was made before Chernobyl happened which is kind of eerie um but uh the 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 people that take tourists illegally into that zone in of chernobyl call themselves stalkers this is a very this is a very real like thing apparently and it's god this movie is just it's it's impossible to unravel i can i can talk about it for hours and i will i will never feel satisfied which by the way feels purposeful i don't feel like i can ever be satisfied while talking about the while talking about this movie because after that what's left i i i don't it's kind of like one of those movies that enforces my own feelings towards life like i don't want all my wishes all my desires to come true i don't want it like that because then i won't have anything left to aspire to or or to want and or to or to 
engage with, right? And yeah, I don't think we could ever fully deconstruct this movie. I think we could only just really marvel at just what an, an, an achievement it is, both atmospherically, visually, thematically. Um, I also got to see it in the theater at the Frida. That was an insanely great experience, especially after a whole day of being fucking stuck in a courthouse for jury duty, <laughs> which I got out of, thank God. Um, but yeah, it was it was really uh, crazy interesting um, seeing this movie grow on me over time and how this movie just has this uncapped, has this beauty that just will never feel completely human, but that's kind of what makes it beautiful. So, yeah, I'm sure I'll have more to say if you guys share your thoughts and I'm able to bounce off of them a little bit. But that's kind of what I want to say to kick off. It's my favorite Tarkovsky for sure. Hmm. Well, Nick, with that rationality, you should never meet me in person. It'll drive you to complete madness. Uh, It's madness I'd go. It's madness I'd be driven into by you, honey bear. I'd love it. (laughs) <laughs> once you get everything you want you'll just be driven to complete madness and that's Ex- it exactly what do you have so more to you. after that <laughs> i don't know man i'll figure it out and if i if, if i if i check out so be it <laughs> then then that's how it goes <laughs> can, can we... is probably i'm sorry oh sorry you can go uh, I was just saying, can we agree this is woody harrelson's best performance <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> that too I was gonna make the yeah. Uh, I was gonna make that joke. But uh, it's his but magnum opus for sure. Stalker is um in my top ten films uh, of all time. Like for me personally, I genuinely think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. And it's just on top of like all the objectively great fil- things about this movie. This movie is just like Blair Core. It's very cerebral, yeah. and I. I adore atmospheric movies and this movie is like as atmospheric as it gets. Like mm-hmm. um, I know it's kind of cliche and corny to say, but you really do feel like you are transported to this completely different, almost dimension and other yeah. otherworldly for the zone is like so perfect. Like I don't, it, I mean, it's like clearly like on earth, but it really feels like just, it's something else. And I, once again, I want to bounce off what Cynic said, the the dune um uh kind of room is like one of the best sets in in movie history it's fucking phenomenal Mm -hmm. and like one of my favorite scenes probably my favorite scene of the movie is just a scene a very long scene where all the characters are sitting down oh um, yes with their backs turned to each other and you just hear the the fucking the water droplets like coming down it's that's it's such a beautiful little scene yeah I I also love how the how the room is essentially what the monolith was to tar to what what the monolith was to Kubrick. The room is to Tarkovsky. It, it is yeah. It is literally the most essential, striking piece of their entire filmography, and it's the one of the only things that isn't ever explained. And it literally would ruin it if it were explained. For sure, it yeah. adds so much intrigue um to the to the movies like. I guess narrative, but experience. And like you said, the whole, 
just the whole backstory of Stalker in and of itself is a fucking insane. You could make like a crazy great documentary just on the filmmaking of yeah. Stalker and the story of Stalker. Appar- right. Apparently there was a, a documentary made by like the cinematographer. He was like shooting uh, his own footage at the time, which apparently has been made into like a rough cut of a weird documentary. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. I would like to, but um, I don't know where it is. Um, yeah, there's a really great that. movie. Oh, sorry, there's a sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that sounds crazy. That sounds really cool. Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that happened on set. There's a really great video, um, on YouTube by oh my fucking god, what's his name? I think his name is Cinema Tyler, and it's a basically look up Cinema Tyler Stalker, and it's basically a a video that basically does nothing about reviewing the movie of stalker it basically just reviews the background and the effect of what the movie had and it's a really great video that captures just how insane the production was and also what the effect was um and also Mm. how he personally interpret he i I didn't he kind of like has similar thoughts to mine in that like you know the the non-explanation is the one is what makes the movie so good and if it were explained like the room, if the room were explained, it would ruin the movie. And if like anything were explained, you know, like I don't, I'm glad we don't see any, any scenes of like characters avoiding quote unquote, avoiding traps. You know, obviously we see like the, them, them throwing like the nuts on string and like, that's like a thing, but um, I'm glad we don't really see the traps in action aside from like one moment. Um, that's like kind of weird and somewhat, ethereal it's just i'm just glad we don't see that because it would straight up just ruin the experience the part of the the not not knowing is what makes it so good right i like what you said too i think it is his most science fiction-esque movie even like solaris they go to space um yeah but there's there's something there's like this earthly quality to this movie that kind of reflects like chernobyl and these kind of dimensions Mm -hmm. also that are just really self-reflexive of the time also and to me that's like when sci-fi is his most poignant and effective and yeah like i admittedly i haven't seen this movie in many many years but i just i'm just so struck by his whole approach to really complex yeah. allegories and everything and this is kind of render that through these very just like it's like these movies are pure cinematic arts i know that's an overused kind of phrase when you're describing him but like even watching like the mirror and and stars, yeah, yeah, pure poetry and in, in in motion, and you can really just you can. I feel like it's so self reflexive too, because I really like put myself into the characters and their kind of emotional and cathartic journey that they go on to. I, I, mm-hmm. It's a, to Tarkovsky's hard to sparse, as you said, but I, I I I love I love his movies, obviously. And- Something I forgot to mention is that in this film, there is kind of like a little bit of a sub theme of family ties and family dynamics where like, you know, the main character obviously leaves his family and the wife has this well acted breakdown of like, oh, my God, I curse you. I curse the day I met you. You're abandoning us for this fucking thing. And um, I, I love how, you know, apparently that does tie into Tarkovsky because he left his family. Um, he left his wife and kids at one point, which Mirror kind of reflected on with his father leaving. But then in Stalker, you know, by that point, he had left his own family. And I like how the Stalker is kind of in his in his own right, 
a projection of Tarkovsky himself because he's like he's a character that demands discipline and demands to be like the leader but he kind of it's kind of like he's he's also like a very philosophical person and it's I don't like I kind of see this as just like Tarkovsky more or less it's kind of like therapy for him in a way that mirror was like a testament to his life I think stalker is him getting into the nitty-gritty of like why he is who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. Um, I feel like stalker in ways is even deeper than mirror, but I, I I know some people may disagree, but I still love mirror. I think they're like one and two for me. I love Andre Rublev. I've loved every Tarkovsky movie I've seen. Um, And this like, I just, fuck, I, I, I really, every time I return to this movie, I'm immediately just reminded of why I love movies. And I love movies that do that. Like, Kurosawa does that for me personally the most. Like, whenever I rewatch Seven Samurai, immediately transported into this feel of like, yep, that's why I love movies. This movie. And then I watch Stalker. Yep, this movie. I watched 2001. Yep, this movie. It's literally just like, there are like 10 movies that literally just reinforce why I love cinema and why I am the way I am. And if I were to make a movie, I'd want it to be as personal as that. Nice. That's Great awesome. pick. I, that's, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Um, my number one pick, a movie that I really love and, and deeply made me feel emotions. <laughs> it's uh, four months, three weeks, and two days. Now, obviously, this is one that I talked about on the 2000s list. Um, So I'll keep it brief. Just go over really quick. Like this movie is obviously dealing with the heavy subject of um, women's rights to abortion. And basically, the two things that I want to like say is just um, it is such a beautiful kind of thesis on how it doesn't matter how badly you outlaw abortion women are always going to um seek that out uh no matter what no matter what uh you know laws against uh against you impose um the real the real dilemma is just how safe it is for women to have access to um to abortion because obviously the hell that these characters go through are, are are just completely like um unnerving and just really scary all around um like if, if you know what, what these characters go through like uh they're dealing with somebody who is like de- um not who knows how to perform an abortion but is completely like doing it under under the radar and um yeah um i'm sorry i'm kind of like brain rotted it's a little late uh but no there, there there's definitely sequences in this movie that um that really stick out with me like the the dinner scene is just one very long take mm-hmm. where you're focused on the main um actress's um face that's a brilliant scene and just the whole lead up um to to the to the abortion itself is just fucking terrifying and um yeah honestly like this movie like it's it's not an easy watch it's something i have it's a movie like i have to watch like and take breaks from because it's so impactful um but honestly i think it's like a master class in directing and um Mm. acting i can't i can't recommend this enough it's it's really disturbing but it's not like disturbing in a way that's like um uh 
graphic or even like explicit in any way. It's just kind of the implications, kind of the psychological uh, journey with these characters. Um, yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal film. It's it's easily uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I love Munju. I love Munju is great. Manja, I, Manja. I think one of the best <laughs> movies of the century so far is that movie. Um, and I love oh, his yeah. other movies too, but nothing compares. Like that's definitely his magnum opus for sure. And there's easily there's so much just inspiring filmmaking in that movie, as you said, like really unbroken takes and kind of camera movements that are so like narratively strong, but just get in the headspace of the emotional trauma that these characters are going through better than like most movies I can think of. It's like unbelievably good. Um, and yeah, I everything you said is great. And um, yeah. And the, I was going to say, like, with time construction, too, because, like, there's there, it feels so self-contained in a way, but you just feel the weights mm -hmm. of this entire country and this culture just put upon these in the lens of these two characters. And as you said, like, there's it's such a pressing, pressing issue and it's so relevant at the same time, even though it's almost 20 years old now. Um, mm -hmm. Like, that's the best. I think it's the best take on that subject matter in film, I, I would say. Um, yeah, it was incredible. I I haven't seen it in years. It's been like four years. I have to see it again because like I recently watched Graduation by Munju and I thought that was incredible. Like I I really remember loving this movie and and being just so captured by the acting and and of course the filmmaking cinematography. Um, the lack of music was really harrowing as well. And there's like a dinner scene that's like all in one take. Yeah. That's just quite literally just captures everything that we were talking about earlier with Shiva baby um, yeah. with like those family dynamics. Like you just don't want to mm -hmm. be a part of it. You don't want to be there. That's my you know, favorite something scene that... in the movie. Cause it, yeah, I think it's mine too. Kind of too. You feel like you're paralyzed sometimes when you're just with mental distraught. Like I've, yeah. I've felt that many times being like surrounded by people <laughs> and she kind of felt like powerless in that moment. It's like the way it's so unbroken. It just, it's so unnerving mm -hmm. too. It's, ah, like, I've never it sucks seen... knowing that people also in America have to deal with this shit like fucking just yeah horrible of course I've never seen a scene uh so accurate I mean obviously I can't like relate but I'm just saying in general like how well it portrays a scene where you go through something so harrowing and so like traumatic and then you just by you know social orders and stuff you have to be in another scenario where you're just trying to play it as cool as possible um right. even though you know what you went through like it's that's crazy how well he portrayed something like that absolutely yeah did you i know it's cynic you saw his latest movie right rmn i did um I feel that his best strengths are movies that are focused on one or two characters and like like yeah. focusing on struggles. Whereas RMN, there's a lot bigger, there's a lot bigger cast, a lot bigger, a lot more motives, a lot more, a lot more going on. Yeah. And it's I don't feel like that movie. It, it, yeah, it yeah. literally like it's trying to tackle so much. And I think a lot of it really does work. There's a lot of fantastic filmmaking. Obviously, yeah. it's fucking Munju. I I know I knew that I was gonna get. A pristinely crafted film, but man, the characters did not grab yeah, me in that movie. And watching really. Graduation was like a perfect reinforcement. I was like, "Yep, yep, I'm perfectly justified in in thinking this." Even though I was mixed on that movie, there is there's moments that I'll never forget. Like, there's like the town hall meeting is like one of the greatest wonders of the past. Yeah, that was a really opinion. good scene. 
And yeah. like there are really good scenes in it. I just I just kind of wish that the picture worked as a whole. I just feel like I was more ca- I just wish I was more captured by it. But you know I what? Love, I, I mean, him as a director, though, nonetheless. Yeah, it didn't change how I feel about him. Yeah, he's so. And good. I really want to see the hills have eyes. Oh, the hills have eyes. <laughs> the hills have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I get shit mixed up like that, like bad like this so often. Oh, my God. What was it? Beyond, beyond the Hills? Beyond the Hills. Beyond the Hills. Beyond the Hills. The, the Hills have eyes. That Freaking movie hell. is... God damn. Alex that Aja. movie is another 10 out of 10, in my opinion. Probably. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. It's incredible. I, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, I really want to see it. I, th- I think it might hit me pretty well. Um, I have the criterion. I, I haven't gotten to it. it yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those. Munju was someone who, like, I watched Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days, and I really loved it. And at the same time, but at the same time, it's like one of those movies that I don't feel like I can watch too much because there are some moments that really just don't make me feel good. Like, and I don't mean that any movie has to make me feel good, but like in a way where I'm like, man, I just don't know if I want to feel this way like this very often. But who knows? Maybe it was like before. Like that was a that was a movie I watched before I um watched the more uh, other like very brutal movies. So maybe I'll be more fine with it if I rewatch it now. In fact, I do no, plan I mean, to you're validated to feel that soon. way. It's, it's very, yeah, there's like one shot of a of towel the in the movie where you're just yeah. like, well, fuck shit, fuck yeah. shit, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's like the only way you can feel. Um, by the way, that guy who plays the doctor, he's been in a lot of movies and in out of all the movies I've seen, there's only one movie where he doesn't play a fucking piece of shit and it's graduation. And even that movie, he's kind of a dick some like a little bit. It's really funny how he just always plays a fucking prick. All right, Perry, you want to go? Yep. My number one is my favorite screenplay of all time and just one of my favorite films of all time. Um, from 1957, it's Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men. Yes! Um, like I said, it's literally my favorite screenplay of all time. I think it's uh, one of the, uh, just one of the best films ever made in terms of, of writing, acting. It just completely fires on all cylinders. Um I, I literally think this movie is a per- I think it's another one of those perfect films. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting for me because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan and a lot of the actors who are in this movie are also in the, the Twilight Zone show. So it, it's, it's fun to watch it and be like, Hey, I remember seeing him in that Twilight Zone episode and that Twilight Zone episode. Um, but outside of that, it's just a it's a really nuanced and just thought provoking look at uh, um, kind of our personal biases and how our personal biases influence how we see certain situations. Um, it deals with the, uh, you know, obviously themes of prejudice and it de- it deals with kind of uh uh, how we as a society, everyone has like a responsibility uh, as a citizen uh, to do what is right, but it's kind of hard to know what that is all the time. Um, the the line of of what's of what's uh, what's moral, what's just, it gets it, it gets blurred, and again. It, uh, that ties back into how our personal biases 
um, influence our perspective on things. Um, and I just think the acting, like the entire cast is just extraordinary. All of the characters feel incredibly three-dimensional. They all just feel like real people. They feel like the type of people we have met. I feel like we have met one of like each of these men in the in the jury room, at least at some point of our lives. Um yeah, I, I I feel like I'm not gonna say anything that hasn't been said about Twelve Angry Men. Um, it's one of the greatest films ever made. It deserves that title. Um, I feel like it's kind of like one of those. If somebody sat down and watched Twelve Angry Men and they didn't like it, I would be, mm. I would think they're just a contrarian. I would be legitimately shocked. It's like an impossible. Um, moving, it feels like a virtually impossible film not to love. I showed it to my mom who had never seen it and we were both really blown away by it. And then I had a movie night at Blair's house and we watched 12 Angry Men. And obviously she was really blown by, uh, away by it. And I was really excited. I got to show her the film. Um, so yeah, that's my number one, 12 Angry Men. That's one of our my favorite memories of like ever with like Perry was watching 12 Angry Men. I mean, when we used to do movie nights at my house, those were some of the best movie nights I've ever had. But yeah, 12 Angry Men was a great one and I really want to rewatch it. Yeah, one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about the archetypes because I remember the first time I watched that, I was pretty young and I just remember each of the men in that movie were like archetypal for some person that you know and you can attach kind of your personal experiences to all of them and kind of, I guess, feel empathy towards some of them, but also disgust. And it's just like the most, just just so emotionally raw um, uh, as it goes on. Um, And I can't believe that like Sidney Lumet directed that as I believe his debut, right? Like that was his first movie and it's maybe the best debut in cinema history and the screenplay so tight. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's pretty insane that it wasn't like a stage play first. It's right. it's either that it's either Twelve Angry Men or Citizen Kane for the best uh, director right. debut of all That's, time. Yeah, forgot about that. That's a good one. And uh, Richard Linklater slacker, right? Heck <laughs> <Black>, yeah! <laughs> I've seen that one, but I feel like it would have all the components to drive me up the wall. <laughs> uh, I a watch along I, with you. I would I would like to see that movie. I've heard it's pretty good. Carlos would be like, Jake, I need him to mod my Discord. You fucking killed him. You showed him this movie and they literally de- killed over. <laughs> like the beginning I, I, of poor things that was you. You're like, fuck it. <laughs> when I remember uh, when I saw 12 Angry Men, I, I watched it with my dad for the first time and he like had heard of it. And I think he saw it at one point in his life, but he like had no memory. And I remember we started it with kind of like we were just tired that night. We just want to watch something. And we were kind of just like lying back on our couch watching the movie 20 minutes in. I remember looking over and we're both on the very edge of the couch, hunched over, glued to the screen. And we stayed that way the entire rest of the film. Like it, it, it really, the, it doesn't take very long 
to captivate. And when it does, it doesn't let go. And it, and it's just so consistently engaging. And yeah, it's pretty much one of the best screenplays ever written. It's in my top five of all time. I, I love it to pieces. Um, I just love also like the filmmaking too. Like the film starts with like a, what is it? Like a five minute, like seven minute oneer um, that really like does a great job at setting up each character. And again, every single juror, even though there's 12 of them, so distinctly memorable. Like I can remember exactly who's who and why they're memorable. It's a really like well-defined film. And again, the fact that it only does it in like an hour and 20 minutes, that's absolutely fucking insane. Like how did it ha- in in the fifties, no less. Like I don't, man, it's crazy. It really is just like one of those movies that you just, when you see it, you can't believe that it's this old because you don't expect a movie that old to be like this ahead of its time. And I feel like it really was in a way. And um, yeah, like some of the best acting ever, just so many classic moments, classic scenes, like with the knife and then with the story of the guy in the slums and the scene in the bathroom. Like there are just so many classic moments, just incredible, absolute masterpiece. Probably like the, like if when I think of the word masterpiece, it's like that movie in two thousand one. Those are like the two movies that appear in my head first. Even like even Old Boy doesn't appear until like number three, and that's my favorite movie of all time. But Sinubumet's one of my. I think he's one of the goats of ever. I just think he's yeah. He's made like five five star masterpieces that are like undeniable, and like his filmmaking is just so. Oh God. He just gets even in 2007, the emotional, the emotional headspace of characters is better than any director to ever do it. Just, and he never like from his first film to his last movie, like they're all just the quality was incredible. He's yeah. R.I.P. One of the best. He's great at capturing chaos. He's so great yeah. at capturing chaos. Yeah. Um, like within 12 angry men, it's like a lot more internal chaos. Whereas like with something like network or, um, before the devil knows you're dead, it's a lot of external chaos. And I'm sure, uh, what's called, um, uh, Serpico, Serpico, Serpico. I almost said Sicario. <laughs> I almost fucked up again. Yeah, yeah, Serpico. Like that. I think that movie will. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that movie's pretty chaotic. And uh, and another one day movie that he directed, fucking Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, that's that like was, one of the craziest. Like, yeah, so close to making it. I, I, I was. Done it. I didn't even remember it was a one day movie until we started the recording, and I felt. I was like, yeah. "Fuck!" I already did my honorable mentions. I can't add it. So that's my favorite. I want to give that... that movie actually. That's based. That absolutely brilliant. Based. I I really want to take this moment to shout it out properly. I know that we're doing Twelve Angry Men, but Dog Day Afternoon also incredible. Sorry. Oh yeah, I love Sidney Lumet so much. Great pick, Perry. Brendan, what's yeah, your pick? Yeah. Um, yeah, my number one, I still need to own the criterion, but, uh, after hours by Martin Scorsese, um, I've been in love with this movie since maybe 2018, 2019. Um, and I think what I love about it is just how it feels like a surrealist kind of film, kind of an odyssey, um, in which everything perpetually gets worse. Um, it it's almost like new york is kind of dreamlike and things don't really make sense um you know it could be really quiet in the streets and there's 
one car going by or the world kind of seems it's like the outside of it almost is like a horror film, you know, and this guy is like stuck in something that really doesn't make any sense at all. Um, <laughs> but what, what I think I love about it is not only the paranoia that sets in to um, kind of like ev everything that he, he wants to do with his nights, you know, whether it's the girl that he wants to meet or the party he wants to go to, they all are facades. They don't actually exist or they don't turn out the way that he wanted them to. Um, yeah. I, I, it almost reminds me and this may be a far-fetched idea, but like almost of one of those Hitchcockian movies like North by Northwest or um, the, the man who, way I'm, I might be the man who knew too much, you know, um, kind of one of these movies where the protagonist is kind of thrown into something that they're not necessarily a part of, but they're, they're the conspirator, um, and the person that is being blamed for it in the moment. Um, but that's what I thought of kind of with, with this film is it was kind of Hitchcockian and especially with the score, you know, um, not only the synths, but has that like tick, 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 tick in the background, uh, which is so cool. Like the night winding down. Um, and it's very breezy. I think it's rewatchable out of a lot of the Scorsese films, you know, it's so rewatchable and the supporting cast. I mean, Cheech and Chong and John Hurd, Roseanne Arquette, Catherine O'Hara. Um, they all have their time to shine. Uh, I think the only other thing that I wanted to note was just how relatable it could kind of be, right? Like we all have these kind of days where you 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 think something is going to happen, um, whether it's like a great party coming up that day or uh, going to see like a movie with your friends, and then things get perpetually worse, and it's not how it was supposed to be. We've all had that day, you know, whether it was years ago or months ago, whatever, but it just kept getting worse, you know? Um, and I think that's very relatable to this movie is he's kind of stuck in this endless cycle of things, just really hammering him and wearing him down. And in some way he kind of deserves it in some parts, you know, he's not really the best protagonist to follow. He's kind of an almost not an anti-hero, but unlikable. Um, and all he wants to do is just get home, right? Um, and I think sometimes we feel that way. It's like, today is a fucking shitty, sorry for swearing. <laughs> uh, today is a shitty day, and I just want to get home by any means, you know? Um, but but people keep stopping him, and situations arise. It's, it's really definitely my favorite of the one-day kind of films. Um, it has all those check marks, right? You know, like the supporting cast and the location, the paranoia, uh, the tension. And I think the ending of it, which I won't spoil, but it, it kind of is, I think, I think it has a philosophical message about life, you know, that sometimes we can't always enjoy the freedom. We just have to go back and work or we have to go back and, uh, dwell into that 
sad state. Um, so yeah, I just think after hours, amazing movie. And I know I'm in the minority with this one, but my favorite, uh, Scorsese film, definitely. Um, but I don't know if anyone else has something to comment on with after hours, but, uh, if anyone else has something I, I didn't say. I mean, the first movie that came to mind when you brought up this topic was actually After Hours. I think it's the quintessential <laughs> where the framework of the movie is just him surviving one night and kind of deconstructing his sort of outlook on life and everything. And these situations are so zany and crazy. And I mean, you showed me this movie, I remember back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I loved it too. Yeah. Um, I love Scor- In the 80s, Scorsese just became a little more I guess experimental with the types of stories he was he was aiming to tell, and this is like a perfect example with like King, King of Comedy, also um, just telling more out there kind of whacked out character pieces like this. And I just love I, I could watch this in King of Comedy any day. Um, and you write like the supporting cast and everything, just uh, yeah, it's so much fun. I also need to buy that damned Criterion <laughs> eventually too. <laughs> Just, I, I really enjoy this movie as well. I think it's I think it's one of his better films. Um, and not even like I don't even think it's really meant to be a character thing where you're supposed to relate to him. You're just kind of just supposed to look at it like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and um, I kind of love how it's literally just another entry in the dude tries to get laid and just can't cinematic universe i I love those movies so fucking much (laughs) i love watching a guy just get frustrated by blue balls it's hilarious (laughs) i mean you'd hate to see it happen to yourself but you love seeing it happen to other people (laughs) it's really fun we talked about the safties a few times and i oh yeah this movie is very influential yeah Um, pretty much without this movie there'd probably be no safties yeah just that hyper kinetic Mm -hmm. new york filmmaking i feel like is really mm-hmm. on display in this movie and this is a paranoia as you said um, yeah just a very very foundational movie that i'm glad it's getting more praise lately so yeah more people have been kind of turning on to this more experimental kind of out there side of scorsese that he was sort of on he kind of just decided for a cup for like a decade he was just kind of going to make just whatever he wanted, you know, not really kind of stick yeah. to a thing. And uh, this really is one of the best in that genre. Um, I I haven't seen King of Comedy in years. Uh, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull are still my two favorites from him. I, you know, I also really love um, Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, that's another great one. Um, but also this movie just contains like some of the best comedy like you'll ever see in a Scorsese movie yeah, or in any of the movies so on this yeah. list. Like, God, this movie is so fucking funny. Like, uh, yeah. just can't stop laughing every time I watch it. Like, the Cheech and Chong cons- appearances are yeah. seriously, like, when I first saw this movie, I almost turned it off because I'm like, I there's no way this movie fucking exists. Like, what <laughs> what am I watching? What what the fuck? Yeah. What, the who tricked me? Scorsese, yeah. Like, in the context of knowing who Scorsese, like, ended up, you're like, I can't believe he was doing movies like this. I would love to like sit someone down one day, have them watch The Irishman, and then have them watch it After yeah. Hours, and then and then be like, <laughs> "You want to hear something really fucking nutty?" <laughs> You're like same person, Killers of the Flower Moon, and then watch like King of Comedy in the same. Oh way. my god, yeah, I would love to see King of Comedy again. That game, uh, that that movie, fucking rips. That's that's last I saw it. That's one of my favorite Scorsese's. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember being a... very cringed out and very uncomfortable while watching it. Like I was just like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck? Who the fuck? Amazing. Fucking top three De Niro too, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Parody like I still after th- hours. Yeah. Oh, I I own it on Criterion. I own the 4K. I really love it. So good. I got the 4K too. It's, yeah. it's so good. It's a great movie night movie too. Like just watch it with friends. Yeah. yeah um, we did it for a movie night in Mississippi. I know. I know. That was a great that. one. Fuck. I, I'm probably one. gonna like invite my friends over one day and just have them watch it with me. Um, that definitely very fun. Yeah. Good pick, man. Um, all right. Well, let me close this out here. It's getting late as always on the Cine Scums podcast by the end. <laughs> Cine Scums uh, after hours, bro. For real. Yeah. Cinema <laughs> Scums. Uh, yeah. I got to think of this a way is to... Cinema Scums after dark. These, these, brain, these brain rot hours are always uh, prevalent when we do the this best show. hours yeah. when we're like playing Fall Guys. I'm like, <laughs> last night was crazy. <laughs> I'm about I to thought it was on. so funny. I'm about to oh, jump it was on. so good. We're done. Uh, I'm oh, on. Sure. I honestly might. Yeah. 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 Fuck it. I'll I'll do that too. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking why not? We'll what are we gonna? It. What else are we gonna do? First of all, Sleep. my favorite Billy Wood song is Year Zero. Um, that's okay. Base. We'll that's that a base one, one. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually like really great. I had to anything off back. maps like just mad based. Danny's fucking laugh in that track is so infectious. Like I laugh every single time. I'm just biased anytime Danny shows up. Um, yeah, straight too. up. I love him on higher, like <laughs> Freddie Gibbs on Pinata. I uh, love him in in um uh, like the Blockhead record. Like, yeah, anytime yeah, he appears, I'm just like, yep, that's my boy. He's my him boy. in that Brockhampton uh, album. Yeah, uh, Road yeah I fucking Incredible. love that fucking track. And I also love him on a um what I just recently listened to. Oh yeah, the ASAP Rocky album One Train. Yeah, I love yeah, him on One Train. He's my favorite verse on One Train, probably. Probably it's actually like, like might be my favorite. Plethora of good rap verses, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Bro sorry, says, a little open a can of worms. I know, I know. It, it, yeah. Hey, it has it has to be done. You, it has to be done. But my number one movie is. I feel bad because you guys had all really esoteric picks for your number one, but I have a very mainstream movie, um, not involving Billy Woods, but Evil Dead Two. Oh, fuck. <laughs> base directed picks. by Sam Raimi. It's a great pick. Um, yeah, <laughs> who? I mean, God. Everyone talks about this movie, but I I always credit this as one of the movies that got me into movies at a really long, young age. Um, and yeah, it's the colon Dead by Dawn is the original title. And to me, we were talking about uh, horror movies that take place in all in one night. And to me, like that's my always been my favorite because it feels like a movie that you can watch like with friends late at night. And it's kind of like this late night, just brain rot vibe that I just... I really, really respond to and like the humor mm-hmm. just it's just some of the best comedic timing in horror comedy history. I like I think it is the quintessential core horror comedy movie. Um, Bruce Campbell's brilliance. Um, and yeah, what, what else can you say? I mean, uh, I've yeah. seen this movie in theaters multiple times, like with groups and um, I think with Brendan actually one time the same night we saw Night yeah. of the Living Dead. That was like a double yeah. feature. Um, which was so based very very based yeah just i always like seen it with people that had never seen it before and like seen their reactions to like that the hand attacking him and like all the furniture coming to life like there's so many inventive sequences in this movie um that raimi kind of just pioneered all these practical effects and these bringing the cabin just 
to literal like it feels like it has a pulse and this movie just has such a it has such a kid-like energy like I, I really like movies that have a very kind of immature outlook uh on filmmaking that but it's obviously the movie has to be good and if it pulls it off I, that's just i think that's just really amazing tone and amazing kind of harking back to your sensibilities as a kid and this movie feels like that like you're making a movie in the backyard with all your friends and stuff so i just admire it so much for that aspect mm -hmm. and yeah like um when brennan brennan was seen it with after hours too like there's like this movie's like inexplainable at times too like just so much shit is heaped upon him and <laughs> you're kind of just along for the ride it's like a roller coaster <laughs> in the best way yeah. um and yeah just you can quote it to death you can you can watch it with friends it's just it's just a movie i love so much and yeah i'm sure you guys if you've seen it you've loved it fucking legendary should be yeah. shot and arrested <laughs> shot and arrested <laughs> I, I agree with that state you yeah. get shot first and then arrested <laughs> wait who are we talking about i missed it i said if you don't like evil dead too oh okay yeah i agree, I agree. <laughs> yeah it's a I have... such a fun movie and go ahead blair um, so I was gonna say I have very vivid memories of like being a kid and um staying over at like Carlos's house and like um he would his ass would be asleep like but fucking eleven p.m. of course I'd stay up <laughs> and uh, I just remember seeing Evil Dead two like play on his TV and I'm like holy shit this is a weird fucking movie <laughs> and uh, yeah that was my first exposure to that movie and obviously ever since sitting down and watching it like it's one of the best horror movies of all time like undoubtedly yes i uh, yeah i i recently um invited like this past october i i invited a couple of coworkers over to watch it with me um we watched both evil dead 2 and the thing and um it was their first time watching both and and just i vividly just remember seeing them crack the fuck up while watching evil dead 2 we were just having such a good time it it really is just I feel like I can show it to anyone and they would get a lot out of it. You know, Bruce Campbell's physical acting, like that whole scene with the hand when he's like grabbing himself, he grabs himself by the hair and like flips himself over in like a front flip. And like later in the movie, he like, oh, he goes to the work shed and he like slips on that barrel and goes down the stairs. And then there's the whole scene when he's like running through the cabin as the camera chases him. Like just so many moments where he just is able to flex these incredible physical acting chops yeah. that are literally paralleled by damn near no one like uh, by the the likes of charlie chaplin uh, can com compare like he, he he's up there with them true. Like, pretty close yeah. evil dead 2 and modern times are in conjunction of like the best physical uh it, yeah and most recently like screen. hundreds of beavers and for hundreds me hundreds of beavers i thought of yeah. evil dead 2 a lot watching that movie it's, oh my god yeah uh, i could do a whole podcast episode of why hundreds yeah. of beavers is one of the best movies made in the last decade but i won't do that because we're not here for that Sorry, Perry, you were trying to say something. Oh, I was just saying, um, well, one, I love to see people's reaction to all the inanimate objects coming to life and just start laughing. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Bruce Campbell even joining in and laughing with them. I think it might be like my favorite moment in the film. Mm. Um, 
just because of how like insane it is and it's kind of like basking in its insanity and i think it's yeah. funny like whenever y'all show your friends or families like movies it's always like evil dead 2 or something fun i'm like hey mom want to watch antichrist with me <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I would love For to be a fly on the wall to watch someone's mom yeah. watch I, I showed it to my brother like me and my brother we were hanging out one night and my dad was working I was like hey you want to see a fucked up movie and he's like absolutely and I'm like oh, don't worry brother I got the one for you he loved it <laughs> he fucking loved it so hey dubs I've, I've heard some people like a tide of people saying that this is the weakest film in the Evil Dead trilogy. I don't agree Weak. at all. I still it's the strongest. That. That's crazy. It's the best it's the one. Best. It's the best one. It's, it's Evil Dead stuff, perfected. As we're saying. Yeah. That's, yeah. Contrarian. As much as I love the other two, but I could, I don't know how you look at my that. opinion. My opinion is so unique. It's like, shut up. I guess I can understand some people thinking like the the third one is their favorite, but Evil Dead mm. Two is the best out of the trilogy. It's unequivocally, like objectively, the best one. Like the way that it's made, the 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 actual like genuine comedy, the effort, like it's it's paralleled by none of them. And plus, it's like gory as shit too. Army of Darkness doesn't have gore. It has like one moment of like a blood spout, but that's I mean, kind of Army it. of Darkness is like a fantasy movie. Yeah, the yeah. movie's like Lord it's of the Rings. <laughs> like I really fun it. movie though. I really I enjoy it. It's yeah. great. It's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's Evil Dead really is the funny. perfect bridge because, like, even the first Evil Dead's pretty terrifying, in my opinion. And this movie yeah. kind of has glimpses yeah. of both, and it kind of is like the perfect bridge of yeah, it is. Blending Evil Dead Two definitely takes itself a lot more seriously. The the um, best shot in the, the film first, in the is when uh, Bruce Campbell is flying through the trees. Yeah, the, <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> like the a Looney Tunes cartoon. Shot. It's crazy. <laughs> I love his acting too. Like when he sees the bridges destroyed, I love he's like, no, oh no, oh, like it's so good. And he never lose, he never lost it. I watched um two seasons of that uh Ash versus Evil Dead show. Yeah, he didn't I lose it that too back in the day. The, he's still his physical comedy, great. like his acting, like it's still there. He yeah. still kills it. I mean, obviously nowadays he's still he's now pretty old. That show started in like what twenty like fifteen or something. Like by this point, he's definitely a little old. Can't really do it much anymore. But I thought you were gonna say he killed it in Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. I didn't. Oh, I never saw that. I love that. I love that Sam Raimi trolled yeah. Marvel fans with that fucking final credits. I've seen videos of people being like, "What the fuck was yeah, that?" And I'm like, "That's yeah. Sam Raimi." That made the ass. movie. I was like, "They." I was like, "That movie's pretty." Not great, but like that ending, I was like, "Yes." Welcome to Sam Raimi, <laughs> amateur. So finally a Raimiism, yeah. I haven't I seen it yet, and I don't plan to. But yeah, I really want to see Drag Me to Hell, though. I haven't seen that in forever. I like that movie; it's fun. I saw yeah, it when I, I was like a teenager, and I was like, "The fuck am I watching?" But then, like later, <laughs> I, I I saw Evil Dead, and I was like, "Oh my god, same guy!" Like I Evil have Dead to see too. this again. That's like the best he's channeled. It's reminiscent of energy, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. That makes me very excited to see it. I, I really, I've, I've seen the goat scene. The you I love the goat me, scene. You black-hearted <laughs> whore. It's so you good. bitch. <laughs> I've seen that a, scene, and that alone convinces me. Sorry, go ahead, Perry. I was a bit of a defender of uh, multiverse of madness, just because of how much I love Sam Raimi, and I love to see mm-hmm. like the Raimi-isms pop up, but it's just not enough to save that movie. Like, I can't no, even... Yeah. I can't even, like, defend it um, anymore. Um, and I can't stand by it just because it's 
Sam Raimi. Um, and uh, I, I just can't stand beside like a movie like that just because I really love the director. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly in that boat. I think when I first Same. saw it, I liked it a lot more than thinking about it over the years. Like that movie's not has a lot of bullshit, but there there's moments <laughs> where you're like, okay. Remy's doing some stuff, you know. That yeah. scene, like that massacre scene, like I've seen it online. And I'm like, yeah, that's Remy just doing his shit. Yeah. Like that's Remy doing, cool. but that's like not the whole movie. So you know, it's like half. I can't the... really. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was no, just no, saying, no, like, was, it's, it's like half and half. You know, Marvel yeah. bullshit, and then Remy, yeah, putting his yeah. touch on it. I'll I'll still take that any day over the Oz and Great. <laughs> bullshit oh my god movie. i keep i always forget that he directed that and i oh my god i i've seen i saw that movie like four times as a kid each time completely not of my own accord and basically held hostage because other people in the room wanted to see it and each time even as a kid i said this movie is fuck shit it's horrible why are we watching this and they're like because it's good and i'm like oh my God. That's when Sam Raimi kind of his soul died when he made that movie. It's, <laughs> it's really bad. And James Franco uh, also, you're like James Franco's so god awful in that movie. Well, James Franco's not a great actor to begin with, but he's True, especially yeah. terrible in that movie. I think there's like only two roles where he's like especially good, and one of them is Spring Breakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why you have to give that as a caveat because earlier we were like Spring Breakers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I just love Sam Raimi. I, 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 I would, I would, I hope he mm-hmm. like just keeps making these crazy movies. I, I really want him to do another yeah. one. I would love you to know, do I'm... like a mid-sized budget horror movie or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would like to see house. him tackle like something like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want him to do any like original like uh, uh sorry not original sorry like IPs. I don't want him to like do another Marvel or another like. A remake of something. I want to see him do something completely original. You want to see him do a Squid Game adaptation? I absolutely would not <laughs> want to see that. <laughs> but like, I heard somewhere that his next film is a Marvel movie. Um, uh, I don't know if that's true, but I'm pretty sure I heard he I, he might be directing one of the fucking Avengers movies. Actually, what? I don't know. Oh, fucking oh. god, Maybe that was bullshit. But I'll I gotta look that up. That's I heard. Yeah, so. I'll I'll look that up later. I they got Josh Whedon's dick so deep down their th- down their throat. I doubt it. They would let Sam Raimi direct it. So deep down the throat, it's touching the lung. <laughs> that it's it's that rumored. Throat. He's rumored to direct Avengers: Secret Wars. Apparently. Oh yeah, it's not confirmed. God. But, yeah. Apparently. <laughs> After all he's done for movies and like he can't make his own like yeah movies. Like, Hell of a I mean just like though. I mean just like Toby yeah. Hooper like how we talked about earlier how Toby Hooper kind of shaped this grindhouse style of um of a uh, horror. I mean Raimi definitely kind of reinf- like kind of uh refined it in a way like made it shinier mm. with like Evil Dead and how that was like basically a midnight overnight sensation and like Stephen it kind of was was like this movie yeah. is one of the greatest horror movies of all time and absolutely yeah. and then like you know he then made obviously that he just created this ginormous thing where like even nowadays we're still getting evil dead movies you know yeah i wish there it's... was a documentary about the first evil dead movie because apparently that set is well, there's there gotta be something so much, out there right? there's no the way there's but... not just like behind yeah. the footage because apparently they were like high as balls making that movie 
and just so off the rails and they had no idea what they were doing and to see how well yeah comes together it's like I apparently can't... like they dropped the camera on bruce campbell one time and it yeah. like smashed yeah. some of his teeth out like oh yeah. jesus the camera oh, operators were like fucking grams of joints a day and like <laughs> yeah so high I mean, it adds like this really authentic, gritty, again, using that word, but it fits here style like it like the, when they're one of my favorite shots of the movie is just when they first go to the cabin and the camera's traveling yeah. through the trees and like the trees are hitting the camera and there's like moments where like you can see like crap on the screen, like just stuck to the camera yeah. lens like it. There's really like a I really love how, you know, and I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial, but just bear with me. It's technically not a good movie. Like there are lots of issues with it, no. and it's very much not a great movie. But great. what makes Cinegar from the Zoom? That's okay. That's <laughs> fair. Jake, I take it this like, is the last time Cynic is going to be on the podcast <laughs> after that take. I mean, just ob- so in an objective, close. in an objective so sense, in an objective, purely objective sense, it's not the best made movie. It's very rough around the edges, but the person but the experience of it is so great and also it's such an amazing story of how like these kids just got together and made their movie on like what a hundred thousand what was it like hundred thousand I mean, dollars i think the mystique of it to me no I mean, true i i still it's think it's a great movie like to me it's an eight out of ten like personal experience it's one of my it's one of my favorite horror movies but yeah. it is a rough around yeah. the edges movie you i know, know what you're it, yeah yeah but strike, that is doesn't two. I have to say though, that's two. Where was one? <laughs> I forgot. There is something else. So. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just fucking with you. I, I forgot, you. but You're you know, great. I'm sure that you said some shit. Which I, fair, <laughs> fair. I remember one time. It was there's another time where I was just like, oh, fucking sitting. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody has that story. <laughs> that's just life. That's just how we live. Uh, I know. On that note, You're, I should wrap. We'll wrap. You it still up. get cane sauce with me, though, for real. <laughs> we'll go, we'll, I'll, I'll see you there. I'll, I'll see you in Kane's corner this weekend, my guy. Absolutely uh, down. <laughs> Citizen Kane. That is a, a that is a, a movie about the CEO of uh, Kane's, right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rosebud. Rosebud was Texas Toast. Right? Ro- Rosebud was yeah. Rosebud was just an <laughs> allegory for uh, Texas Toast. The three wing. The three wing combo, bro. The box combo. <laughs> rosebud oh, i'm craving that now we gotta stop talking about Fuck, it. I, I, no, I hate that shit i hate when we i hate when we talk about it because then i start craving it and it's like i mean i got one near me and it's open till two so if i want one i can go but at the same time it's not the same without you jake i don't eat canes on my own much neither do it's, i that's the thing i don't yeah. want to go with you guys so. i only go with you and chandler because it's just like a, a sacred like loving experience i just like don't want to experience it on my own or with anybody else like i just want to go with my home with the people the of the canes corner you know we're there we're there because we're up we we love what's the papa john's things i love pizza and i love people that's how that's how i feel about <laughs> he has yeah. no pizza experience <laughs> the reckoning is coming that's what that's okay. something papa john actually said <laughs> all right brain all right. rot to the max i love it um, hell yeah that's a great episode end. great way to end i'm As so happy Let's I'm re- so happy I got to finally appear on here. Yeah, yeah I was, was going really yeah, thanks for Great form awesome. of wish fulfillment. Really loved talking about the movies. Brendan, loved meeting you. you had a lot to, your tangerine rant, especially like rant, sorry. Tangent especially was like fantastic. <laughs> You're ranting tangerine, about Bruce? Tangent. You're, 
<laughs> I just, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I, I get words confused in my head. It's not on purpose, but I, I really love listening to you talk about the movies you love and, and same uh, with everyone yeah. else here. But uh, obviously I've heard everyone else here talk before it. New, like, new people, new experience. Takes, yeah. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, I just wanted to say Brendan also came up with the idea for this pod, so... Yeah, fuck yeah. And yeah, again, I, I wasn't even planning on appearing awesome. until like a couple days ago when Jake mentioned it offhand, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, Jake, you, you invited uh, me like last second. I was like, okay, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be on the podcast. I know, yeah. yeah. Anytime, anytime, of course. But now, like, the next thing you and I are going to do for the pod, I, I we're going to do, like, what, what are we going to reveal it here? Like, what's sure. the deal? Um, we're going to be talking about, this is also Cynic to Critic's idea, as our most underrated Palm Door winners. So top, Yeah, top five and, overlooked, underrated Palm Door yeah. winners. That's the ultimate prize at can if you guys don't know. Um, yeah. And we're just going to pick, I mean, there's about roughly, I don't know, 80 years of movies. So there's a lot of, yeah, unfortunately quite a few movies that are quite overlooked and Mm -hmm. I want to give them, I want to give at least a good handful of them a proper people to know that apocalypse now is a good movie. I just, (laughs) (laughs) I need to, you know, there's this very underground film that came out in 2019. It's called parasite. And basically like (laughs) no one has seen it. And (laughs) I really need to make sure that more people have seen this exactly that's what we're here for um and also just want to say thank you to blair to perry to brendan love all you guys so much your your knowledge and just being here i appreciate it um love you jake <laughs> nice heart love love this us. it was a great i'm glad great i got time. to and be yeah. on one with blair and perry yeah it was just a great yeah, group great. it's a great group of conversations and um i yeah. always feel so exhausted by the end in the best way I know. Yeah. I feel. I feel intellectually fulfilled, but I'm also very yeah. tired. <laughs> yeah, me too. For real? I'm pretty tired. So yeah, subscribe. All that jazz. All that jizz. You know. All that jizz. Great movie. <laughs> Great movie. <Everyone laughs> have a good one. Thank you. <laughs>